0: movies.
1: Everyone has a past. Whatever is left of me, I'm yours. Every legend has its beginning. On November 17th, discover how James I knew it was too early to promote you. became Bond. Well, I understand 00s have a very short life expectancy.
2: Rated. Casino Royale was released in 2006 and reinvented James Bond. Both reboot and origin story of Ian Fleming's super spy, it was directed by Martin Campbell, starred Daniel Craig in his first 007 outing, and now sits among the most successful and popular entries in the Bond series. I'm John, and the perfectly formed asses with me are Matt, Skewered, one sympathisers, and Westy. I'm sorry, that
3: last hand nearly
2: killed me. All the right movies are in Montenegro for a high stakes game of life, death, and Texas Hold'em. First, though, we've got a little itch down there. Would you mind? Hello and welcome to All The Right Movies, Half Monks, Half Hitmen and a podcast on classic and hit films. Yep, that's everything. Yep. This time out, it's a classic staple of cinema we're getting our teeth into, isn't it? It is. It, really it is. is. Yeah, we're with the Broccoli's, Martin Campbell, Daniel Craig and the world's most famous MI6 agent as we talk James Bond and Casino Royale. Okay. Mm-hmm. Coughlinks some cold showers. <laughs> <laughs> Before we start earning our double-O statuses, though, it's Patreon time. If you like what we do on this, our classic podcast, you can help support us keep doing it by becoming an ATRM patron. Patrons get access to our bonus podcast episode, double feature, and access to our entire archive of bonus episodes and classic episodes like this one. Yep. The mm-hmm. archive's huge now, and we have loads of other classics in there. If you like Bond, surely you like Indie. And God, where there's other Lost Ark's in there. Mm-hmm. Yep, it is. Lots of other titles as iconic as Bond 2, Star Wars, The Shining, The Godfather, and many, many more classics have been covered in there. Yeah. Like the Vespa. once you taste Star Archive, it's all you'll want to drink. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> or maybe i will put you in a cardiac arrest, but take the chance. One of the two. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We still need to find a name for it. Yeah. <laughs> Go all in. Yeah. <laughs> So to find out more and sign up, please visit patreon.com forward slash all the right movies. Mm. Or if you're an Apple Podcast listener, you can subscribe directly on there now too. Wow. Just look for the subscribe button and give it a click. There you go. Really yeah. posh. No excuses now really as if you can do that. No. One no. click. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now though, it's bond. Mm. So to start us off, Westy, I'm afraid your friend Matthew is really my friend Matthew right (laughs) (laughs) and it was him who put Casino Royale
1: up so why was that Matt well you mentioned Patreon John and our very first Patreon episode was on Bond films it was that's true yeah. and I think we all said back then we're not necessarily huge fans of the franchise but I do think when a Bond film really works it still hits like nothing else and this Mm -hmm. is the kind of Bond film you could show to somebody who's not a big fan and they'd still go yeah that was really good in Out of the Bond films, that that wood class has been the best. I went for this one because of the context, because you have to remember, at the time, there was a genuine question whether Bond had a place at all. You know, yeah. Austin Powers had come along and just taken the piss out of it. Yep. The Jason Bond films had come along, and people were going, well, wow, that's what a spy thriller should be like these days. Yeah. So there was a lot writing on this. I mean, Die Another Day, which was the last one, that was absolutely rotten. So there was this question, is Bond relevant anymore? And I think it's fair to say that... Casino Royale answered that question and then some and did make it relevant all over again. So, absolutely iconic character. I think we need to do at least one deep dive on him. And I think this film really did
2: save that character. Right. Yeah, similar for me. I'm a fan of James Bond. I mean, like you say, Matt, I'm not a super fan or anything. But I've seen every film in the series. Always look forward to a new Bond film coming out. And Casino Royale might be the release that I remember most strongly. It was the first time that I saw or was really aware of the series transition from one Bond to another. And it was a controversial casting at the time in Daniel Craig. It was, yeah. Yeah. It went right back to Bond Basics in adapting the first Bond novel Ian Fleming ever wrote and the only James Bond novel I've ever read. Mm. An adaptation the producers have been trying to make for decades and they did all this on the back of, like you say, Matt, The mm. Born Identity which yeah. had reinvigorated the spy thriller a few mm-hmm. years earlier and Batman Begins, the first big yeah. Christopher Nolan yeah. blockbuster. So there was some real pressure on the filmmakers to deliver. Mm. As well as those things, there are some superb behind-the-scenes stories some yeah, of which yeah. I think may surprise some people who haven't heard them. Yeah. We're talking about all of that as well well. well as dissecting the film as is our way and it's bond so there's going to be some laughs surely yes surely yes And Westy, we'll Casino Royale and
3: you? Yeah, not as many laughs as, like, you know, a Roger Moore Bond, let's be no. honest. <laughs> well, obviously. <laughs> <It's> incredible. <laughs> do, let, should we sack this off? <laughs> <laughs> He's got live living let die in let, there let die in there. <laughs> Amazing. Where's the crocodiles in this one? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it was a breath of fresh air, wasn't it? Very, I remember going to the cinema and actually being excited about it and not mm-hmm. knowing what to expect. And I hadn't seen this for a long time, and then Matt put it up. Mm. I kind of forgotten everything about it, which I think is really good and the Mark really like Mm. complex film. I'd never really know what's going on in the Bond film, but I never normally care. And I think that's the difference (laughs) with this one is that you actually care and it it steps forward, the narrative progresses, and you Mm. care about the character. So I think it's a very emotive film. I think it's very of the time. I think it's very necessary. And it was very interesting to see the casting of Daniel Craig and what it could do, especially after layer cake. So yeah, I mean, of all the mm-hmm. Bond films that I've seen, which is all of them, this has to be my favourite, but that's not really saying much. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> so Casino Royale was produced by MGM, Columbia Pictures and Eon Productions, distributed by Sony Pictures Releasing and released on November the 16th, 2006. Filmed on location in Prague, the Bahamas, Italy, and the UK, it was directed by Martin Campbell, written by Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, and Paul Haggis, and it stars Daniel Craig as James Bond, Eva Green as Vesper Lind, Mads Mikkelsen as Le Chief, and Judi Dench as M. Great cast. Yeah. Let's get in there then, should we? Mm. Let's do it. Let's do it. The globe-trotting adventure starts now with the beginning of Casino Royale. And out of the valley as well, there, please. Casino Royale starts as it means to go on, updating James Bond while honouring his origins. Mm. We're going to be talking about a classic 007 trope, The Bond Girls of Casino Royale, shortly, but before we do, it's the action-filled opener. It is. Yep. Reinventing a classic character has no mean feat. As such, Casino Royale needs not one, but two opening action sequences. Mm -hmm. Bond's fight to the death in a bathroom is one. The other is Bond's chase to the death in Madagascar. Yep, it is. Matt... The man with the Omega watch. Which are you talking about? Beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to go for that black and white intro
1: because I absolutely oh. love it. It's very nice. so moody. It's so tense. It's just this conversation over a desk between Bond and some other spy. But then interspersed with that, you get these scenes of Bond kicking the absolute shit out of someone in this grubby <laughs> yeah. toilet smashing the place to pieces. Really grainy as
3: well, that bit, isn't it? Fantastic. Has the MGM Lion ever roared in black and white before? It's just the first time
2: ever. It must be the first time since maybe the 50s or something. Yeah, a long time ago, yeah.
1: (laughs) And the thing is, for me, you compare this to other Bond opening sequences, you know, Roger Moore skiing off a cliff, Pierce Brosnan doing a bungee jump off a dam and you watch this and you go (laughs) am I watching the right thing is this a Bond film because they never start like this and it's so paired back even with the dialogue you know how did he die your contact not well yeah beautiful stuff could the Bond drowning him in the sink brilliant you know made you feel a diddy you didn't worry the second is and then bang he's out of there and then it's just Mm -hmm. yes considerably and then you're into the title it's just so pared back, so stripped back, and the whole thing has this edge already. And like a lot of Casino Royale for me, it's all about the contrast to previous Bond films. And this is nothing like how a Bond film starts, which is why it's great.
2: Yeah, I mean, because no Bond film had ever been black and white, it tells us immediately, we're doing new things here. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like we said, even the studio idents for like MGM and Columbia, yeah. they're black and white. I like that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it was the idea of the director of photography, Phil Mehu, and it works brilliantly two scenes in the cut together bonds meeting with dryden and then the fight in the toilet with his contacts i think it's genuinely a brilliant opening yeah the juxtaposition between the two scenes is like the old and the new the scene with dryden feels more like classic bond where he's cool collected a step ahead of him where he's like i know where you keep your gun that's really good yeah Yeah. really good yeah very cold war bond to me like classic bond but then the fight That's a Bond we've not seen before. It's brutal. He's like a savage. Just drowns the guy in the sink. Imagine Roger Moore having a scrap like this. All (laughs) eyebrows getting slogged in the gut. Oof! (laughs) (laughs) Oof! (laughs) I mean, I love Roger Moore, but this opening to Casino Royale intentionally is a whole new thing. I love the spin on the famous Bond gun barrel shot as well all excellent. And I think anyone at the time, whether you like Bond or not, would have been like, okay, wow, this is interesting. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to go for the scene after this, obviously, because the first time I saw this at the cinema, when it went to colour, I left the cinema. So I thought the whole thing was going to be black. <laughs> it's
2: all downhill for me.
3: <laughs> but what's this bullshit? <laughs> colour? Madagascar? But it's it's great. I mean, like you were saying there, John, I think you see this confident side to Bond, but that's before he gets made into a double O and now he's in a different world. And he's got to prove himself. And the other guy that he's with is is just shit. Get your hand away from your ear. What are you doing? (laughs) Rubbish. Rubbish. Put your gun away.
2: Is that guy meant to be a double-O agent? Because if he is, he's a rubbish. Yeah, he's he's a sidekick or something. He's like, right, you
3: just take him with you. You're a double-O now. You've got to look after him. He's just started. But that's great. I mean, it just starts from there. And it does not let up this sequence. Some incredible humor in there. Some really great visual storytelling. Especially when it gets to the embassy. And you see the camera when he first jumps over the wall. And you think the camera's got him. Mm. And it comes around the camera and you'd say it's in the corridor and it yeah, hasn't got him brilliant. Yeah. and it's Bond's character as well like when they finally get into the scaffold and then he, the guy just jumps through that slit in the wall Bond just powers through the whole wall <laughs> fucking yes <laughs> just like I'm here like no nonsense whatsoever <laughs> yeah. but he keeps up from beat by beat and it shows that he's kind of learning as he goes and this whole sequence is him like learning to be a double O and how mm. fearless he is mm. he ultimately fails he needs him alive yeah. and he fails the mission yeah. for this whole sequence I absolutely love it but I love it because he doesn't win. It's like mm. the end of Rocky in like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah.
2: It's great. I think it has a really modern feel to it with Malacca. That's the bomb maker, bonds chasing, doing the free running. That's great. I love the contrast in Styles where Malacca's graceful and skipping over tables and swinging through holes and Bond crashing through walls and causing absolute chaos in that digger.
3: (laughs) And knows it's bulletproof glass.
2: (laughs) 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 And just killing innocent people. Kicks that poor guy off the scaffolding. Yeah, Wouldn't get that from Sir Roger. Unbelievable. My favourite part though is probably when they're fighting on top of the crane. Chris Corbold was the effect supervisor and he said that he fought Tooth and Nail to film that for real. Mm. And the moment that Malacca and Bond jumped from one crane to the other, the stuntmen did that for real. They were really 200 feet in the air. Yeah. A lot of wire, but still, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that white helicopter I shot that pans around them where you can see the sea in the background, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. But brilliant again. I think it's one of the best blockbuster openings this century for me.
3: Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's up there. Yeah. The editing's incredible as yeah. well. We've got Fantastic. to give a nod to that. It's just, the pace is ridiculous. You feel really comfortable when you've watched this you thinking... Do, yeah. Where else is this going to go? Yeah. A card game. Yeah. <laughs> well,
2: after what's came before, you're kind of thinking is this reading Seamus Bond? Are you sure? Yeah. yeah. Definitely. <laughs> yeah.
1: James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that free running technique, which was so good. That's the development of parkour, which is a training discipline about getting from point A to point B in as efficient way as possible. And Sebastian Fukan, who plays Malacca, he was the founder of it, so obviously one of the best in the world at it. And it featured in a 2003 documentary, which was called Jump London. And Neil Purvis and Robert waite who were the writers for this, they had seen that, saw him in it, and that gave them the idea for the sequence. I've
2: seen that. It's absolutely outrageous. Right. Is it? But, I Is mean, it?
3: yeah. I mean, that guy, even running down the street, a car can't keep up with him. Right. It's amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah, Sebastian Foucault, he's the founder of free running. And he said that free running isn't a sport. It's an art form. Yeah. He brought flips and dance moves and stuff like that into parkour. And some of Malacca's moves are incredible. But he runs up the scaffolding. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Ridiculous when he leaps down the elevator shaft, kind of bounces off the wall, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Spider Man or something, yeah, yeah, like that, it's yeah, excellent, like the 70s Spider Man, <laughs> <Yeah. though. laughs> <laughs> and quite a nice touch as well. How Malacca's missing a couple of fingers, presumably yeah. in like bomb explosions, yeah. Originally, it was called Two Fingers in the script before they gave him a name. <laughs> That's ridiculous, swinging off a
0: crane with two fingers. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine if you <he> had five <laughs> <laughs> an airplane. The
3: scene takes place in Madagascar, but it was filmed. Thank <laughs> you on New Providence Island in the Bahamas, which you can tell is quite hot there. It mm. looks quite sweaty. The construction site was a hotel that had started being built in the 1970s but abandoned before it was finished. The producer, Michael G. Wilson, found it and added some scaffolding to make it look like it was still under construction and then filmed everything there. Mm. So I would imagine everyone there is a stunt man, right? You're getting kicked off, it's mm. fine. They're not just... It feels like they just turned <laughs> up yeah. and just did it. <laughs> 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 Who the fuck's these guys?
2: <laughs> but also, The Spy Who Loved Me, it filmed at that same place in 1977. Oh, oh right, right,
3: nice. Yeah. Okay. okay.
2: So so far, I think we've talked about Roger Moore more than we have Daniel Craig, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and for very good reason. Yeah. <laughs> that will continue. So that's the opening to Casino Royale: a new gun barrel sequence, a new way of filming, a new stunt discipline, ultimately a new Bond. Very much so. Very exciting. Mm. From New Bond, we're moving on to talk about some moments that are more traditional 007 in that they involve the Bond girls. Mm. Yep. As is often the case, Casino Royale gives us two Bond girls. That's Solange Dimitrios, played by Katerina Marino, and Vespa Lind, played by Eva Green. Both have memorable introductions. So which are you going to talk about, Westy? I'm going to talk about Solange. (laughs) Solange? (laughs) Because you
1: like saying it. (laughs)
0: guys just love seeing it it just rolls off the tongue it
3: it's just the way she's introduced man it's just incredible just riding that horse down the beach and there's yeah. not much beach between her and them children <laughs> not much room at all to gallop down there it's absolutely ludicrous but it's just classic bond this and it's shown like mm. how he's just using these womanizing to get what he wants but it doesn't go as far as the older bonds he just mm. gets what he wants and then he's out of there yeah He doesn't need the sex scene. He doesn't need the sex He doesn't need that at all. Mm. And what works here is like when he wins the game and he obviously gets the Ask Martin, he gets the valet and she's outside and he's like, do you want to come back to my place just the one drink? And she's like, yeah. (laughs) And he just spins around and comes back in the hotel. That's absolutely amazing. I think that's just really, really (laughs) fucking cool. But it would still take me, if I'd just won that car... It would take me half an hour to come round (laughs) all the way back. (laughs) But then he gets what he needs from it. He asks other questions and he's just absolutely remorseless. He's got absolutely no feelings for her whatsoever. She's just being used. And I think that's really important in this film. And just the Bollinger and the caviar. Is it for mm. two? No, it's for one. Yeah. And then fucks yeah, off. Yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Probably the, be- the best I could do is like half a bottle of blue, none and the dominoes. <laughs> 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 See you
2: later.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, well, after waxing lyrical about how the film spends the first 20 minutes giving us something new, we get the tragic Bond girl in Solange in the Bahamas. Yeah. Classic stuff where Bond sees her at the poker game, charms her, seduces her, gets info from her and she gets murdered for the trouble. Good old James.
3: Yeah. It kind of seems like it's her fault, though, doesn't it? Like, Yeah.
2: It's not my <laughs> fault. What have I done? But apparently the first time with Sarah on the beach, when she's on that horse, Katarina Marino would hurt her leg because she'd fallen off a different horse. So Martin Campbell wanted to use a body double, but she insisted on doing it because she said it was her classic Bond girl moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I like how it does spin the classic narrative a bit where Bond doesn't sleep with Solange he leaves as soon as he finds out Dimitrios is on a flight to Miami yeah, yeah. I mean wild horses wouldn't have dried Connery Amua away <laughs> no absolutely not <laughs> at all but also I wanted to talk about the scene just before this where we meet the most important Bond girl of all when Bond breaks into M's place to get access yeah. to her computer oh, yeah, yeah. first off how amazing is M's apartment <laughs>
3: yeah unreal oh
2: that fire is outrageous yeah. <laughs> yeah she's got a lift in her living room unbelievable yeah. a bit of an odd casting choice maybe bringing Judy Dench back as M as she'd been M in the Pierce Brosnan films but yeah. I'm glad they did I love the dynamic between Dench's M and Craig's Bond yeah. they're both drawn pretty cold as characters but there's a real warmth between them I always find works yeah. really well but yeah I think it's really impressive how they bring in the classic Bond trope of the tragic girl but make it not feel old it fits in with the new approach really well yeah, there's got that mother and son
3: vibe between them, and I always think that he's going to say, I didn't think it stood for mother, which is what big, What he thought it would stand for. Nice. Like, yeah. There's also another Bond girl in there, well, not necessarily a Bond girl, but she did appear in Thunderball in 1965, and that was Diane Hartford, and she's sitting at the poker table just
2: to the left of Demetrius. Yeah, Sean Connery dances with her in the nightclub in Thunderball. Yeah. No dance moves for Craig. This no. sound wouldn't, wouldn't fit in, I don't think. Not really I can't see them happening. What would he do?
1: <laughs> yeah, and in this whole sequence, you get one of the iconic bits in the film is when Bond first sees Solange on the beach. Solange, man. <laughs> and he's coming yeah. out of the ocean in a pair of speedos, which is an echo of the famous Ursula Andres entrance in Doctor No. But Craig said that the script had Bond just seen her and then floating off in the water, but when they were filming it... He actually tripped over a sandbank, so he improvised the standing up and walking out of the water. And that, from a mistake, it went on to be used um, in all of the trailers in the marketing materials. And I have to say this as well, like when I saw this at the cinema, I remember there were some women sitting behind me. And when it got to right. this bit in the film, one of the women uttered a very audible, I can only describe it as a very audible sexual grunt. And <laughs> up, she probably went, oh... Just saw you sit down, that's why.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Daniel Craig did say there was an accident, but he realised straight away it would be compared to Ursula Andress in Dr No. Mm, But he also said, I didn't think I'd be haunted by it for the rest of my life. Haunted, though? I mean, if I looked like that, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't even be wearing a Speedo. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but there's a few moments in the Bahamas that I really like. The poker match with Dimitrios is really good, it sets up that Bond's a great poker player, mm. and yep. also gives us the origin of how he gets the Aston Martin without seeming really yeah. forced. Yeah, yeah, it's nice, yeah. And I like it when the rich guy thinks Bond is the valet, so he takes his car and yeah. crashes it on purpose.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just
2: throws the keys away. Yeah, yeah. dick move. Really funny. <laughs> if that had been more, i just fight him out the ejector seat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I'm going to go for the other Bond girl, which is obviously Vesper scene on the train because it's all a little bit flirty this bit, isn't it? Just a bit. I'm the money, every penny of it. How is the alarm? Skewered. He's got an Omega watch. You know, even in this relaunch, you still get the product placement. It's just a really fun scene and it's good at giving you exposition in that, you know, this is how much Bond can stake. What's the risk if he does lose? But at the same time, it sets up how Bond is going to play the game. I really like that line where he says, you never play your hand, you play the man across from you. You know, like if you don't, no poker, that's a really good line, yeah. And it's just enjoyable watching these two sizing each other up. You know, she's wearing slightly masculine clothes to compensate for her beauty. She didn't react to the quip about a parent, so that must mean she's an orphan. But what's really good is she gives as good as she gets, you know. Yeah, she works out. He went to Oxford, but on someone else's money, and because he went straight orphan that must mean he's an orphan. Yeah, just back beat for beat, isn't he? Yeah. Oh, oh, beat for beat, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's like watching like, a really good tennis match, like no one's like yeah. defaulting yeah. here. Um, so it sets up better than pretty much any of the Bond film that these two genuinely are equals and they're as smart <coughs> as each other. But I do yeah. like that bit after the train as well, when then the taxi on the way to the hotel when Bond says to Vespa, oh, your pseudonym is Stephanie Brochesk. That's really funny. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> and obviously that's done intentionally because that would have been a classic Bond girl back
2: in the day type of name. yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah, from our classic tragic Bond girl character, we get Vespa. And even though she's from Ian Fleming's first ever Bond novel, mm. she feels to me like a Bond love interest that we've not really seen before in the films. Craig's Bond's intelligent and Vespa is just as intelligent. I think it's a really good idea to have the meet like this on the train. I think it's well-written, well-acted. And Eva Green is always a welcome sight on a movie screen.
3: She reminds me of a Blackman and Goldfinger. Yeah. It's a similar kind of character where she's like, she's in charge. Yeah, mm. It's yeah. kind of beat for beat. Yeah.
2: And that is the beginning of Casino Royale. Lots of 21st century updates and a sprinkling of Bond tropes makes us interested to see where things are going. Yep. Definitely. More money,
3: more lamb, more watches. <laughs>
0: the director
2: The director of Casino Royale was New Zealand filmmaker Martin Campbell. Starting on TV in the late 1970s, he directed episodes of some classic British shows like The Professionals, Minder, and Bergerac mm-hmm. before graduating to movies. Prior to Casino Royale, this filmography included The Mask of Zorro and The Legend of Zorro, and with a bit more relevance to us, mm. in 1995 he directed Pierce Brosnan's James Bond debut in Goldeneye. Goldeneye, yeah. Yep. James Bergerac and Bond together at last, Matt? <laughs> yep. How did it go? very well i think i think campbell isn't
1: someone who necessarily has a grand vision or personality that he wants to imprint on his films or here but he knows how to make the audience have a good time and he hits every story beat so well so if it's an action beat the action's really good if it's a character moment he sits back and he gives the actors space to do their thing the most challenging thing he's got is a large part of this film is a poker game and that could be so dull But he never overextends those sequences. He keeps them short and he keeps them snappy. And then when it comes to the action, there's just this real clarity to it. Like that Madagascar opening, you end up in a completely different location to where you started. But it all tracks. You never get lost. You never go, how did I end up here? It all just flows beautifully. To jump ahead just a little bit, when Bond runs up that mobile escalator at the airport to jump on the truck, Mm -hmm. he keeps that as one shot. He only cuts the moment of impact really clear. When Bond crashes his car, he keeps that in one shot. He doesn't edit it all over the place. So there's this lovely sharpness and clarity to all the action. And that sounds like it should be basic one one but how many action films have we seen where the action is just all over the place? And the the, oh, yeah. the editor just chops it to pieces and you can't tell what's going on. So I think what he does here is actually quite underrated. I really like it.
2: Yeah, I agree. Like we've already said, the Bourne identity was released in 2002 and basically rebooted the spy genre Mm. where it was like grounded storytelling, slick camera work, complex and intense action sequences. Then two months after Bourne came out, Brosnan's final Bond film, Die Another Day, was released and was instantly outdated. Yeah, Yeah, instantly. That invisible car, (sighs) dreadful. Oh, God, surfing (laughs) bit. So, Eon and MGM, who co-owned James Bond, did the right thing in rebooting the series. Martin Campbell as director, though, he'd already been directing films for over 30 years, including Mm. a much more traditional Bond film in GoldenEye. At the time, I would have definitely said they needed a young, up-and-coming director, not somebody in his mid-60s from that classic Bond background. And I would have been wrong, because I think Martin Campbell does a fantastic job as director. I think his vision, maybe his brief from the studio was pretty simple put Bond back as the flagship name in the genre modernise it but without losing sight of what put it there in the first place Yeah, and I think that's exactly what he does the spectacle here in terms of scale and ambition I think is comparable to Batman Begins the complexity of the action choreography and the realism in the writing is comparable to Bourne. It's a whole new Bond, yet somehow, to me, feels 100% like a Bond film at the same time. Yeah. I mean, all the tropes are in there. Well, there's no money penny, there's no Q, but we've got M and the Bond girls, yeah. the Aston Martin, the tuxedo, exotic locations. A classic Bond, but none of it feels old. It all works in this new Mm -hmm. setting. I think as much as anything, it's testament to the brilliance of the world and the character that Ian Fleming created. No matter the era of filmmaking, when it's done well, Bond always works. Mm -hmm. And Martin Campbell did a brilliant job of transitioning the series into the 21st century, I think.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Martin Campbell does an incredible job, and it was—it is a weird choice that he mm. did Goldeneye, and then he comes to <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget what he did with Zorro. I mean, if you're trying yeah. to look for realism and fantasy mixed together, Zorro's really fun. It's really fun film. Yeah, I mean, he's the associate producer on Scum. Let's not forget. So <laughs> yeah. he knows—he knows like a realistic kind of vibe when he's going for yeah. it. Very solid, very confident. Some of his shots are fucking excellent. Some yeah. of the lighting work in there is really good. But Bond has always been of its time. Mm-hmm. You watch a 70s Bond, you watch a 60s Bond, hmm. you watch an 80s Bond, hmm. you watch a 90s Bond. And this had to be of this time. Yeah. There was no place for anything less than no. <laughs> how fast it had been updated. And I think he forgets that old-fashioned fantasy element of Bond, which is what it grew into. And he went, no, I'm just taking what this is, and I'm bringing a realistic look to it, a realistic
2: feel to it. And I bring an emotion and vulnerability to the character, and I think he does it really well. So Casino Royale was the first James Bond novel that Ian Fleming ever wrote, published back in 1953. So it took over 50 years for Ian to get the book to the big screen. Yeah, because originally
1: CBS had bought the rights in 1954. So the first production of Casino Royale was an episode of Climax, which was a CBS anthology series. And in that version, Le Chiffre is played by Peter Loray. Linda Christian played a composite of Vesper and Mathis who was called Valerie Mathis. And Bond, the very first Bond, was played by an actor called Barry Nelson.
3: Yeah, he's great as well. Have you seen any of that? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's Omen from The
2: Shining, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he
3: is. (laughs) But he's nowhere near as good as is Zoman,
2: let's be honest. No, no, he's got an American accent (laughs) in this, yeah. Yeah, he comes in like mashed potato. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's your classic pub question. Who played the first James Bond on screen? It's Barry Nelson. Yeah, Barry Nelson. But I think Peter Lorre would have made a great Bond villain in a film. Definitely, yeah. And Linda Mm -hmm. Christian would have made a great Bond girl. But yeah, Barry Nelson makes George Lazenby look like Sean Connery.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Isn't. And then the film rights, they were owned by Charles K. Feldman, who was a big Hollywood producer. He'd done things like uh, the Seven Year Age streak on Aim Desire, a lot of those films in the 50s. And then when the Sean Connery Bonds were a big success in the 60s, he put Casino Royale straight into production with Columbia. But the twist was he did it as a comedy. And that came out nineteen sixty seven with David Niven as Bond. Ursula Andress came into this one as well. She was Vesper. Orson Welles was Le Chief and Peter Sellers yeah. was in there as a backrat master called Evelyn Tremble. Yeah, yeah. Mm.
2: Orson Welles. Isn't so awesome ridiculous?
0: Imagine <laughs> constantly drunk. How
2: house yeah. of a cast, but it never <laughs> works on any level. No. no. no also, a young Jacqueline Bisset was in there as get this for a name Giovanna Godthaeus. God's guys. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and one of Bond's love rivals in the film was a guy called Polo, played by Ronnie Corbett,
0: obviously. Oh, wow. <laughs> that would have been amazing.
4: <laughs>
2: the best thing about it by far is the music The mm. Look of Love by Dusty Springfield. Oh, course, yeah. That was written by Burt Bacharach for Casino Royale. It's yeah, miles yeah. too good for the film. <laughs> yes, it is. totally is. <laughs> and then in
1: 1989, Columbia were bought up by Sony they approached MGM and offered them the Casino Royale rights in exchange for Spider-Man. So they did
2: the deal, and MGM and Eon basically put Casino Royale straight into development. Yeah, what a palaver. Yeah. So Eon Productions is owned by Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, the children of Cubby Broccoli, who produced all the gold classic bonds. Mm -hmm. And they considered two of us the direct Casino Royale before Martin Campbell. All right. So Andrew Nickel, who had written The Truman Show... And written and directed Gattaga, was offered the gig but turned it down to make Lord of War instead.
3: Oh, right, Nicolas Cage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, yeah, yeah. That,
2: yeah. And apparently Matthew Vaughan was considered because of Layer Cake, but right. Leon decided that he was too young, at about 33. I think he'd make a good Bond director now. I would have made a great yeah, Bond director.
3: If you watch Kick-Ass, like get yeah. some real chops. Yeah. yeah.
2: They went to Martin Campbell after working with him on GoldenEye, and he said he only agreed to do it because he had nothing else to do. As <laughs> 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 good a reason as any. Just on Zorro, that's the peak yeah. of everything. Fuck it. Yeah,
3: he was keen. And when the rights went back to MGM, Quentin Tarantino, of all people, and Piers Brosnan had got together over cocktails one night and decided they wanted to work together on Casino Royale. Well, they are some strong fucking cocktails, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Tarantino's idea was to take Bond back to the Cold War, 1960s era, and set after Honor Majesty's Secret Service. So Bond's wife, Tracy, would have just been killed. He said mm. he would have shot the whole movie in black and white. Now we're talking, Quentin. There would have been no John Barry theme. I don't know about that, because he loves a Ding, diddling, ding, ding, yeah, yeah. ding. It's been twice yeah, the does, speed. Too, right? Ding, 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 How are you themed? There'd be no one-liners and there would have been a voiceover narration which is probably would have been Samuel L. Jackson. Bond was on mean motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he had a fucking full house.
2: <laughs> You're selling it well, yeah, Wesley, we'll yeah, to be fair. Right?
3: <laughs> he pitched the idea to Eon, and they said, no. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Apparently Tarantino's version was going to be called Casino Royale with cheese. <laughs> Not really. QT still took credit, though, and said, the reason they did Casino Royale all comes down to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Not Ian Fleming.
3: (laughs) Because all of his ideas weren't in there at all.
2: (laughs) No award recognition for Martin Campbell on Casino Royale. I mean, you're not winning an Oscar for Bond, I don't think. Nah, there's too many people involved, I think. Yeah, but successfully rebooted the series, and as much as we'd love to see the insanity of a Tarantino (laughs) Bond, Martin Campbell did an excellent job directing.
1: Yeah, he really did. Yeah.
2: He's a cool motherfucker.
0: The cast.
2: Martin Campbell was returning as director from GoldenEye, and Judi Dench was back as M, as we mentioned, but the main cast on Casino Royale were all new to the Bond universe. Yeah. We're going to talk about Eva Green as main Bond girl Vesper Lind and Mads Mikkelsen as the big bad in Le Chief, but there's only one place to start in the cast, surely. Yeah. Yeah. So, Daniel Craig is James007Bond. Starting as a 00 wannabe, we follow Bond as he climbs the ranks at MI6 before going rogue every time. Yeah, every time. <laughs> <laughs> going rogue to bring down terrorism fundal chief, falling in love and ultimately experiencing heartbreak to become the super spy we all know. Mm. He gets 00 status and celebrates by shooting up an embassy. Is the man deranged, Westy? I think he might be. What's he up to? <laughs> Fucking
0: idiot.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I think he's great in the character he really grabs this with both hands and yeah. fucking knees it in the face doesn't he it's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if i need to do something that's going to put my stable on hollywood if i'm leave any kind of legacy i want to say that i've rebooted james bond mm. and i think if he'd done no other film since this one he would have achieved that yeah it just felt like the more that you did the less he wanted to do it and mm. i think mm. he put everything into this one and everything else was quite diluted in his performance because he didn't know where else to go with it mm. but this is the perfect perfect stance and i think a perfect casting For somebody who is against type physically, with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, and he hasn't got the suave and sophistication, he's well built, he's looking after himself, Mm -hmm. he's going to the gym. But I don't think he was allowed to do as much as he wanted to do. I think you can see there's restrictions on him as an actor. Craig knows that there's limitations on the character and how far he can go with it. And I think sometimes he feels quite frustrated. And he he does keep it tight, he does a really, really good job. He is very believable in it, but I think he wanted to push it a
2: little bit further than he was allowed to, and I can Mm -hmm. see that in the film. Yeah. I mean, DC's first outing is 007. So huge pressure. Yeah. I mean, James Bond, possibly Hollywood's most iconic character. Not easy. Yeah, Certainly in that conversation. Yeah. I yeah. mean, yeah. the d- definitive example of a great character who was all style, little substance for me. Yeah. Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson wanted to overhaul not just the world of Bond, but also the character. And they did that by not changing the character, but by highlighting parts of his persona that was always there in Ian Fleming's version of Bond, but taking a bit of a backseat in the film yeah. to this point. Mm, yeah. And that is that Bond is basically a sociopathic killer, a blunt instrument, as M calls him. Yeah. He has mm. little, if any, empathy. After Solange is killed, M says, I'd ask you to remain emotionally detached, but that's not your problem, is it? Mm. And Bond just goes, no. <laughs> no. But again, they don't lose sight of the classic character. He's still the ladies' man. He still loves the flash cars, the tux. But they give him an arc, pretty much unheard of in a Bond film. Yeah. yeah. And the result is that this is the first and probably only time where I find James Bond interesting as a character. Yeah. He's not all style, little substance this time around. And Daniel Craig portrays all that brilliantly. I believe him as a sociopathic killer. I believe him as the charming ladies' man. I believe him as the intelligent secret agent. Yeah. There was a lot of controversy around the time he was cast, which we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. But for what they were going for, Craig nails it for me. Yeah. And the role he'll always be known for, like every Bond actor, I think. Yeah.
3: Yeah, which I think he kinda of regrets now, I think. I'm not too mm. sure, but I think he kind of does. But when they're partnering for rights and they say, James Bond, right, I'll match you with Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you kinda of know how big this
2: character sits. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. At that time, exactly, yeah. Yeah.
1: I just think he absolutely hits it out of the park, doesn't he? First time as well. And he's so confident and it it's that word you mentioned, John, just the pressure of it, because like I said, the series itself was in doubt. You know, there's no guarantee this would continue and be a success. And he had all that on his shoulders. But he fits it so naturally. But for me, it's just that sheer physicality that he brings. He makes you feel the action. Like like we've said, he literally runs through a wall at one point, which is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> and
3: it's him as well. Like You yeah. can sort of tell it is.
1: And it's him. And I think this is the first Bond since probably the first couple of Sean Connery ones where you think Bond can actually fuck you up and tear you into pieces if he needs to. Like he can properly <laughs> yeah. handle himself. But at the same time I think Greg's still brings some vulnerability to this. Like he does get messed up and he does get bloodied and beaten more than more than any other actor has in this role, I think. So yeah, I think he's exceptionally uh, well cast.
2: Yeah. I'm just laughing and thinking about someone saying Bond can probably fuck you up about Roger Oh <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Exactly.
2: Oh don't mess with Roger. Of course he could. You could lodge a loafer right up your ass. <laughs> 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 But of the day, despite us slating it, mm. had actually been the most commercially successful Bond film ever in 2002. Mm. Yeah. So Eon's original plan was to bring P.S. Brosnan back for Casino Royale. But apparently Brosnan's agents demanded he get paid $30 million plus royalty.
4: Wow. Insane. He's not Arnold. No. (laughs) Fucking
2: hell. 30 million. Exactly. And that made the Broccoli's think about bringing in a new, younger actor to freshen things up. Mm. And the casting process was pretty big news at the time, Mm. if you remember. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't he come in on a speedboat at some point? Did he? He did, yeah. The <laughs> the
1: kind of press reveal he came across. The press reveal. Yeah.
3: He came in like a speedboat and like HMS Big Bollocks or whatever it was yeah, called. Oh, or, wow. over the Thames or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah flag curtains. It might as well have been Liam Gallagher like in the yeah. late, late 90s. Just imagine him yeah. as Bond.
1: Fucking <laughs> oh, <good laughs> yes, man. <laughs> yeah, Michael G. Wilson, one of the producers, said they looked at over 200 actors to take on the role and he said that included Dominic West and Gerard Butler. Poof.
2: Narrow escape. <laughs> yeah, just like, like I can imagine. Well, will really,
1: you hear one of these names? From the media, the media said that Jude Law Orlando Bloom Wow. Well, Orlando Bloom. Cole Urban were considered. I mean, law maybe. Call Urban, I think, could have been good.
3: Cole Urban's great as Judge Dredd. I keep mentioning yeah. that every time I hear his name. Yeah. And he's amazing, Lord of the Rings. But Bloom is yeah. just absolutely terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Awful He is. Well, he's. I mean, come on. They're yeah. taking Vesper to Isengard
1: <laughs> <laughs> Imagine him on the torture sequence. Oh, the eye of Sauron just hanging down underneath. <laughs> <laughs> and then Martin Cumbler said that if Henry Cavill had been a few years older than 22, which he was at the time, he'd have probably been cast. And eventually right. it was whittled down to a final five while well screen tested, and apparently this five included James Purifoy, Julian McMahon, and Ewan McGregor. And Julian McMahon has said that it came down to two people, which was him or Daniel Craig.
2: Right, right, yeah. James Purifoy said that his screen test was a disaster. Right. So I'm not sure what happened there. No. But yeah. also, according to reports, Eric Banner turned the role down, Hugh Jackman Turned the role down. And so did George Clooney, which (laughs) surely isn't true. That cannot be true. Uh, But I'd love to have seen Clooney in Casino Royale with cheese that would have uh, been legendary yeah it would have been like imagine him in, like out of sight yeah
3: like that kind yeah. of vibe oh it would have been fucking unreal yeah. the peacemaker yeah <laughs> great for him, it good. Yeah. and when daniel craig was first approached about playing bond he said he didn't want to because he thought the films had become stale and formulaic which mm. i totally agree with yeah. he changed his mind when they gave him a version of the script to read and he said he found out he'd been cast when he was out shopping for groceries Barbara Broccoli called him. Obviously, grocery <laughs> <laughs> called him as he was looking at broccoli and said, over to you kiddo, yeah, so, yeah, fantastic."
2: Nice. Well, yeah, well, apparently the groceries that we were shopping for at the time was broccoli. Was it? No. Oh
3: fuck off. <laughs> 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 I believe you fell for that. It's unreal how much I trust your research, isn't it? <laughs> no,
2: no, no, no. Barbara Broccoli was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine, as Broccoli. Well, sure, great. But he did, and this is true, Westy. Craig did say that he celebrated with some shaken, not stirred vodka martinis. As you would, obviously. Yeah, actually, Fuck the groceries off, just <laughs> went straight for the booze. Yeah. But do you remember the media storm that came when Daniel Craig was announced as the new James Bond? Yeah, they, yes, didn't they set much.
3: up websites and was like, Craig, no for Bond. It was, like, it was, it was hideous. Blonde,
2: not com or something, yeah. Something like that, yeah.
1: It went crazy, yeah. yeah. Everyone around crazy on this news, the tabloid state. Different newspapers said Daniel Craig was too short, too ugly and too blonde for the role. In the front page of the Mirror, I don't know if you remember this, had the headline, <laughs> the name's Bland, James Bland.
3: Yeah, it's like he's auditioning for Fight Club. It's like, you're too fucking yeah.
1: blonde. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had to stand there all night till they yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah, I remember there was a website set up, which mm. was blonde. Not yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah. Ridiculous. yeah, it's and ridiculous. And they had a complaint letter template on there that you could download, sign and send to on. Amazing. It said, I am voicing my dissatisfaction that you have replaced P.S. Brosnan with such an unknown and unattractive actor. Wow. I wonder how many of them they got. They yeah. should
3: have got Dylan to did the soundtrack and just been like, blonde on Bond. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now that would have be been a departure. <laughs> yeah, that's what I would
3: have done. Black and white, Dylan on the soundtrack. That's <laughs> so when he actually got the role. And to prepare for the role, Craig read every Ian Fleming Bond novel and talk with Mossad and British Secret Service agents. How he did that, I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> and he also quit smoking, put on 20 pounds in weight, and he was personally trained by Simon Watterson, a former Royal Marine who came up with a Daily Regime to push Craig all the way through and have that body, which everyone's
2: jealous of, let's be honest. Yeah, great. he does look great. He said that he was in a state of pain for almost all of the shoot. <laughs> At one point, two of Daniel Craig's front teeth were knocked out and his dentist had to fly from London to Prague, especially to perform surgery. Wow. Ouch. And from that point on, he wore a mouth guard, which I mean, that all probably explains why he seemed to be threatening to quit playing Bond for about 10 years yeah, before he actually yeah, did.
3: Yeah. I would have thought it's his back teeth <laughs> the time he sucks his cheeks in. <laughs> 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 that.
2: <laughs> that might explain it. It might. <laughs> in
1: bonds, tuxedos and suits, they were made by an Italian fashion house called Brioni. His shirt's mm-hmm. by a British company called Turnbull & Asser. His sunglasses, they were by Persol. His cufflinks were from SD DuPont. His swimming trunks were by La Perle. He has an Armani leather jacket and, as he says in the film, his watches Omega. Nice. I have two myself.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sounds like your wardrobe, Matt. It's <laughs> where they got the inspiration from, can't yeah. I? No wonder they're getting grunts in the cinema. <laughs> 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 but the tuxedos the Bond wears at the casino apparently cost $6,000 each. Wow. So about the same prices in all the right movies cap.
3: Yeah, when I'd order them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On eBay, yeah. Unbeknownst to me.
2: Yeah. <laughs> to finish off on Daniel Craig, we have our first Patreon question. So, a benefit of becoming an ATRM patron on Patreon is that we'll answer your questions on the show. We have our first of those now. It's on Daniel Craig, and it comes from Ash McMahon. Hello, Ash. Hello, Ash. So, Ash asks, This, to me, is the perfect Bond film, and Craig's darker, grittier take on the character really resonated with me. Mm -hmm. His tenure does seem to have alienated some traditionalists, though. So, where does Craig's Bond rank, in your opinion, against the likes of Connery and the old eyebrow raiser? By old eyebrow raiser, Ash is referring to Sir Roger. Yeah, obviously. obviously. I mean, I assume, unless Liam Gallagher was in the running at some point.
4: Fucking <laughs> biblical. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, Westy, where does Daniel yeah. Craig rank among the Bonds for you?
3: Like, I mean, like I've said, right, Bond is a product of its time. And he was right for the time that it was rebooted and rejigged and be- but so everything was coming before and everyone was kind of like, you know, we need to stop and make this updated to make it a bit more necessary. But for me... James Bond will always be Roger Moore. I absolutely mm-hmm. love Roger Moore. Always will be. <laughs> and he is of that time and it's just a time I remember so well. It just he just smells like old spice and old tobacco <laughs> and alligator skin and horrible loafers. <laughs> and just reminds us of like my uncles and my granddad and my dad sitting down and watching it on a Sunday afternoon, just having a fucking time of their life, and I love that. And I love Connery because he just introduced the character with such suave and sophistication that people could found it impossible not to follow that in some degree. So Craig, for me, is going to be third under them, guys.
2: Yeah, so my Bond ranking is sixth George Lazenby, obviously, yeah. fifth Piers Brosnan, fourth Connery, third Timothy Dalton, wow. second Daniel Craig, and right. first The Great Roger. Of course. Um, the same as you, Westy, he was Bond to me when I was a kid, so I always yeah. kind of think of him first when I think of James yeah. Bond. My favourites, though, because they go to darker places, probably are Dalton and Craig. I mm. think Dalton was robbed by only appearing twice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Well, I do prefer Bond as a character when he's played with a little bit of gritness and a bit of toughness, so that, for me, puts Connery, Dalton, and then Craig as my top three. I, I generally nice. do like everyone who has played him, and I think everyone's got a soft spot for Roger Moore, especially. I thought... <laughs> yeah. Peace Brosnan was kind of almost like a parody of Roger Moore, too much for me. I couldn't really get on board with what he did. Yeah, I get that. I get you know, that, yeah. Kind of screwed over by the film, like what you guys are saying. He's a better Bond in Mrs. Doubtfire than he is in any <laughs> Bond film. <laughs> Another Mrs. Doubtfire <laughs> reference? Every episode you get it in? I think I've said that before, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do think out of the six, well, I think Daniel Craig is the best actor who's ever taken on the role out of them, and I think that helps so much. So mm. for me, I yeah. think I'd go six, yeah, would be Lazenby, and Five, Brosnan, four more, then Dalton, Craig Connery for me. Yeah,
3: he's an actor before he's a personality, Craig.
1: I think yeah. that's a massive difference.
3: Yeah.
2: Well, for his performance in Casino Royale, Daniel Craig became the first actor to be nominated for a BAFTA for playing James Bond. Mm. Mm-hmm. And for us, a very good 007.
1: Really, really good. Yep.
2: Yeah. Top three? Every James Bond needs a Bond girl, and in Casino Royale, she comes in the form of Eva Green playing Vespa Lind. Yep, yep. A foreign liaison agent from the HM Treasury, Vespa handles the MI6 finances Bond uses to bankrupt Lea Sheaf, then falls in love with 007 before betraying him and drowning in the climax. Mm-hmm. She's the money, Matt. Mm-hmm. How is Vespa Lind and Eva Green playing her? Well, we're a long way from Denise Richards as a nuclear scientist called Christmas Jones, aren't
1: we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Christmas
3: game once a year, amazing, yeah. that like. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. I also wanted off Christmas in Turkey. Oh. <laughs> I think the casting of Eva Green, it's very left field in the same way that Daniel Craig is quite a left field choice. Like before this, Eva Green... Much better known for doing, like, arty European films for people like Bernardo Bertolucci, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because of that, I think she just brings such a different presence to this character. You can tell she's not there to just make up the numbers and the character isn't there to just run around after Bond and suing all over him. And when those things do happen, the more romantic elements, I think Green just makes them all much more believable. You don't roll your eyes at them like you would do in the past. And the other aspect is, is Vesper genuinely does have her own little story going on in the background that you don't see until mm-hmm. the end. And I think Green is so good as an actress; she doesn't telegraph that, she doesn't make it obvious that she's going to betray him. You do wonder, well, where's where's this going to go? Because the seem really well suited. And then when she does betray him, she, she does sell that realization as well that she's not doing it out of greed or vindictiveness. There's this genuine choice and torment that that character scotches in, in you know, in impossible situations. Yeah, I
2: think she's really good in this. I totally agree, Matt. I think Vespa Lind is the most interesting Bond girl, for Mm. sure. She has layers. I like the backstories we get from her on the train where we find out she's an orphan and later when we find out about her fiancé. I mean, really simple touches, but even that is way more than we got in the Roger years. Attempting re-entry, sir, in Moonraker. (laughs) Awful. (laughs) But Vespa, she's the one that got away for Bond. She's as smart as him, if not smarter. He's Mm -hmm. met his match. I really like that little scene when they're getting ready to go down for the first round of the poker mm. and Bond finds out Vespers ordered a tailored tuxedo for him yeah. and she's like yeah. I sized you up the moment we met mm. and Bond's furious about it it's tailored <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> A buy that Vesper would have this life-changing effect on Bond mm. And loads of it comes from Eva Green Who gives Vespa a coldness at first When she's not standing for Bond's bullshit And then a warmth yes. later on when she starts to fall for him Interesting character Great character name Sounds a bit like Viber, but it's not mm. Not really <laughs> <laughs> Tell you what, the best Bond girl for me
3: from the Treasury as well, really good at maths. Yeah. yeah. You can easily <laughs> size him up.
4: Yeah. yeah.
3: I mean, if you tried to size me up for a suit, it'd be a boiler suit. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm a good-looking cat. Let's not argue about it. But yeah, I mean, she's perfect as the Bond girl in this reboot. But let's not forget that we're also talking about it's a prequel to every other Bond film. It's how he becomes James Bond. Yeah. It's how he becomes a 007. Yeah. And we kind of forget about that. Yeah. She's great because what she does... Is like you said, John, you don't roll your eyes, but the female audience don't roll their eyes here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They kind of go, right, yep, that makes sense mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, that's <laughs> yep. somebody for us to watch then because every other Bond girl was just for the male gaze, for the male audience, yep. for them yep. to just be like, whoa, isn't she great yep. Well, she's a sidekick? This one, she's got a real sincerity and a real authenticity. And what she brings to it for me I always forget this double cross at the end and then it's a double cross it's a double cross and then M says no she did it to save your life Mm, Yeah, you know it's huge it's huge in that ending but you fucking buy that and she cares about him and she knows that if she was in his life they couldn't be together Eva Green for me is that person who it proves that Bond can fall in love and be in love and if he's lost that love that he says you are, like, I'm everything to you now, if he loses that, he becomes James Bond. That's a really mm. good idea. And I
2: totally fucking,
3: really fucking buy it.
2: Mm. Well, before Eva Green was cast, there were a lot of names considered to play Vespa, mm. some very big names too. Mm-hmm. Have you heard any? No. Well, there were reports that Angelina Jolie, Eva Longoria, Vera Farmiga and Kira Knightley auditioned. Right, right. And the casting director, Debbie McWilliams, said they very strongly considered Scarlett Johansson and Charlize Theron.
0: Right. Right. Either
2: of those would have been awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Johansson and Theron as double-O agents. It's not too late to make that, surely. It's not. They've made it a couple of times. (laughs) Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They have, actually. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah,
4: because
1: Debbie McWilliams, she'd been casting director on a few Bond films, If Your Eyes Only, A View to Kill, The Living Daylights, GoldenEye tomorrow never dies and the world is not enough and she was very keen on the idea of a French actress playing Vesper and at one point Audrey Tatao from Amelie was in contention and an actress called Cecily de France also auditioned but Eva Green came in and
2: apparently just everyone
1: loved her straight away.
3: The to Tower I would have thought at that time amazing but then you watch
2: The Da Vinci Code and you go nah yeah, she could have pull nah. that off mm. yeah Cécile de France is actually Belgian but she's worked in French cinema the previous few years but Debbie yeah. McWilliams said that her English accent just wasn't up to scratch right. I think Eva Green's English accent is good but slightly off at the same time mm. I think it needs to be it's that mystery to yeah. it as well
3: yeah, yeah I like it when they were filming the final section sequence of the film in Venice, Eva Green had to spend minutes at a time underwater. Now, I still find it really uncomfortable watching the sequence because I definitely. think, how the fuck do you do that? Yeah. yeah. And she actually spent time with underwater specialist divers from like, deep-sea divers, just yep. so she could hold her breath for mm. minutes at a time. Mm. I, I still get real anxiety watching that it's now. She does so well. Yeah.
2: She does. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. I saw an interview with Eva Green where she said it was quite relaxing to drown. It felt very, very nice. I totally, totally disagree. Yeah, it doesn't look it. Yeah, it <laughs> no. looks bloody horrible.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, feel, I felt like the guy in the sink at the start. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> she, I, I would rather be that dude. So Eva Green is Vesper Very good. And for us, among the better Bond girls?
3: Yeah, no question. Oh, yeah, really, yeah. really high.
2: Yeah. yeah. Every Bond needs a Bond girl and also a Bond villain. Mm. Yeah. The antagonist this time round is private banker Le Chief played by Mads Mickelson. Mm-hmm. A mathematical genius who weeps blood, Le Chief sets up a $150 million winner takes it all poker game, loses it all to Bond, and is brutally killed by his creditors. Yeah. You've cried tears a few times, haven't you, Westy? Blood as well. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think
3: of Le Say freak, Le <laughs> <chief> is great. <greedy. laughs> <laughs> Mads Mikkelsen, I could not get enough of this guy. Yeah. Anywhere I see him, he's just a great, great bad guy. A great good guy, a great actor. And he just is different in everything. I won't say like... He's literally, if he's a character, he's Mads Mikkelsen, and that's why he's being cast. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. it's what he does. He doesn't even need dialogue. The way he stares during the <laughs> yeah. games. Yeah. Plays the main foil with all this believability, when really, he's really underhand, and he's not even the main bad guy. Yeah. But it's what he does with the looks that he gives, and the personality that he gives, and the way he dresses in black, and he's just perfectly statured on that screen mm-hmm. as a Bond villain. And it subverts the, the expectation totally. Yeah, But I mean, if you watch him in Valhalla Rising... Yeah. He's a real fucking baddie in that. Yeah. Hmm. This, you can see, he's kind of just taking the back seat, as well as from being a Bond villain, and he kind of dials it in at times, but if I want to watch anyone dial it in, I want it to be Mads Mickelson.
2: Yeah, I mean, one of the essential ingredients of a good Bond movie for me is a good villain, Yeah, and we do get that here. Firstly, the name, Le Chief, No first name. That's a bit weird. Yeah. Ducks of Blood is weird, and I like it. The mathematical genius thing is a good touch, but he made the wrong choice with poker. Have you not seen Rain Man? Blackjack all the way, surely. <laughs> exactly. It's got letters in, hasn't it? A, J, Q. It's fucked. <laughs> I mean, all that stuff is very much surface level. And there's not much in there in the writing of the character beyond that. So the filmmakers are relying a lot on Mads Mickelson to flesh Le Chief out. Mm-hmm. And he does. Yeah, I think he's yeah. brilliant. He gets a one-liner or two. I like it during the poker game when Le Chiffre wipes Bond out by pulling out four jacks. And when he reveals his hand, he goes, oops. Yeah yeah that's great <laughs> you must have thought I was bluffing Mr Bond yeah. that's great Yeah, <laughs> his lines
3: are great when he does get them there's a real depth to them yeah. a real weight to them fantastic Yeah,
2: the fact that he doesn't quite make it into the final act of the film does prevent him being an all time great Bond villain I think mm-hmm. but he is really good and he gets a big moment in the torture scene where he's great yeah. we're talking about that later so I'll save that for then but yeah, yeah a really good villain I think I think the fact that he's not the mastermind makes him the new
3: Bond villain which I think he's bad yeah. on board for yeah. Yeah. yeah I
1: mean Mickelson he, he does elevates anything doesn't he by Turning off yeah. and he's got this real 100%. silky and smooth. present somebody's medicine as well, and but for me, what's interesting about it is basically why you two guys have been saying like he is just this mid-level threat. He's an accountant. He's a middleman. He's certainly not yeah. a physical threat. But then that does make sense for this to be Bond's nemesis because it's the beginning of his career. It wouldn't make sense to be you know get Blofeld or bring back Goldfinger in there, one of the really big iconic villains. And you know he's so mid-level. He gets killed at the end of the second act. And it's not even Bond who kills him. It's his superiors mm. who've who just yeah, had enough yeah. of him fucking up. <laughs> yeah. So there is that danger that he could be a bit of a non-entity as a villain, but because Mickelson is so good, you do avoid that.
3: Absolutely, yeah. The first person offered the role of Le Chiffre was Ulrich Mathis, who played Joseph Goebbels in Downfall, if you remember that, which was yeah. a great performance. He turned the part down. He was committed to a theatre production of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf.
2: Yeah, he has a very similar look to Mads Mickelson, I think, or yeah, Rick Mathis. Yeah, yeah. So they clearly yeah. had a very specific idea in mind, I think, for Le Chiff. But, I mean, I wouldn't change mm. Mickelson; He's great. Definitely not. No,
3: I mean, there's them two in the world, and then anyone else, who else is yeah. it going to be? <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah.
1: The thing is, uh, Le Chiffre is quite different in the novel to how we see him here. In the novel, he's described as being short, only 5 foot 8, and over 300 pounds in weight. And he's described as having small ears, small hands, and is very
2: hairy. Amazing. Yeah. DeVito? <laughs> 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 that sounds like a hobbit. Yeah.
3: <laughs> you got 21 showing, Lachif. No wonder if that's 100 million quid.
2: <laughs> also, when Ian Fleming wrote the novel, he apparently based Le Chief on Alistair Crowley, the famous early 1900s occultist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Fleming and Crowley apparently had a meeting together during World War Two. Crowley died in 1947, and they just had that one meeting, but he made such an impact on Fleming. That he based Lashieve on him a few years later when he wrote Casino Royale. Okay. Also, Alistair Crowley looked quite a bit like Blofeld, which may or may not be a coincidence. sure. Okay,
3: right, right, right,
1: okay. And that characteristic of Lashieve having an eye that weeps blood that was added for the film, not the book, and it's based on a real condition called hemolacria. Mickelson has said, "Well, high blood pressure occasionally makes people bleed through their eyes, which is kind of scary." Terrified. Does it? <laughs> <laughs> How high? <laughs> Too high.
3: Too high. Too high. high. <laughs> Too high. Yeah. All the way to your
2: fucking head. <laughs> but there's that touch as well where Le Chief's partner, Valenka, she wears a hair to cover her left eye. Oh, yeah. yeah. The same yeah. eye that Le Chief has a problem with. Yeah. It's like a yeah. sort of visual indicator of his insecurity that he mm. makes her do that, yeah. which I really like. Yeah, I'll yeah, show supporting him by doing that, yeah. kind of, if you look at it that way. So, Mads Mickelson as Le Chief, really good, as the villain of the piece. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. unbelievable. As always in a Bond film, there's a big supporting cast too. We talked about Judy Dench as M and Caterina mm-hmm. Marino as Solange. And also Giancarlo Giannini as Mathis, mm-hmm. Simon Abkarian as Dimitrios and Jeffrey Wright as Felix Leiter play key secondary roles. But our big three, Daniel Craig, Eva Green, Mads Mikkelsen, all effective in the leads. Hugely yeah. so. All
3: big updates for the three characters that we're known to love.
1: Yeah.
2: And, special offer to all the Right Movies listeners, you can get 10% off your first month of professional therapy at BetterHelp.com A-T-R-M. That's BetterHelp.com slash A-T-R-M. Thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. The crew. Moving into the second act of Casino Royale, and things are starting to motor with some huge action sequences. Mm, yeah. Bond's escapades at the Casino Royale poker table in Montenegro are coming, but first, we're talking shenanigans in Miami. Yes, we are. So having steamed in with Alex Dimitrios' wife Solange in the Bahamas, Bond discovers Dimitrios has been called to Miami and, mid-seduction, heads off in pursuit. Mm. Yeah. Miami brings us the explanation for ellipsis, airport chasers, and Bond taking out Dimitrios. Yeah. It does. The slimy bugger. How's it go, Matt? <laughs> well, not
1: good for him, to put him out not great. Because um, when <laughs> Bond does kill him, it does feel like that moment's just been building between them so well. Like, I really love the early scene when Bond's beating him at cards and he's won his car. And Demetrios yeah. gets up to leave him on and goes, oh, valet ticket, please. Just really yeah. rubbing it in. Really funny. <laughs> so... I don't quite get this exhibition thing. It's very weird. I don't know why that would be there, (laughs) next to an airport, Weird, But it is this lovely kind of cat and mouse game going on between them. And it's a good reminder that Bond is not, and is far from being the complete agent yet, you know, really distracted by Demetrius leaving that fob on the table, so Demetrius gets to jump on him. Mm. But, you know, then he has the skill to improvise, to distract him so he can turn the knife back on him. I mean, how thick as Demetrius to be that gullible to fall for that. The old, oh, look over there trick. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> That's like back to the future? It is.
3: <laughs> hey, Biff, what the hell is that?
1: <laughs> really stupid. And, you know, the plausibility of this happening in a crowded room and no one notices at all. Not sure about buy that either, but there's that lovely little touch by Craig when He's killed the He sat him down in that chair, and he just gives the face that little slap, Oof. just that little touch, and it, it yeah. goes back to what we're saying about Craig. He really sells those like sociopathic elements of the character.
2: Then it sets up the next scene really nicely.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean another Bond trope is the villain's henchman, mm-hmm. and in the book, LeShief has a henchman called Krat who has a walking stick that turns into a gun. <laughs> We, nice. think, yeah. <laughs> we don't really get a henchman in the film though I think Demetrios is about as close as it gets yeah. and he's fine but I mean he's no odd job isn't is he? no definitely not definitely not no knick knack no <laughs> <It> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> the knife fight with Bond I like it mm. it makes them both look like trained killers the way they kind of cancel each other out mm. to the point where they're barely moving and this same scene would have been absolute carnage if it had been Sir Roger back in the day <laughs> 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 So yeah, it is good, but I mean Demetrios is no real miss as a character. I don't think. No,
3: not really. You've mentioned Roger Moore in every (laughs) segment.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) every single. Imagine Roger Moore doing this bit though.
2: It
0: would be great, wouldn't it? (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Yeah. So going
3: on from that he figures out what's going on with the bomb and they're going to blow the plane up and he has to go to the airport and he's kind of trapping the guy through. I mean, imagine yeah. Roger Moore in this situation. <laughs> 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 on top of that refueling truck. <laughs> <laughs> this is ridiculous. He rings them, gets her on the phone. I'll call you back. Ellipsis, that was lucky. Just type it in. There you are. That's what that means. Fine. But apart from that, I mean, it's a really believable setup how this guy gets out of there and he sets the alarm off and he's got the uniform and he goes out and Craig's tracking him. And you're going, right, this is an intelligence sequence then. This isn't an action sequence. And then it just gets fucking ridiculous in the police car, gets a refueling truck. But there's that one bit, and I think this is the only time I'm going to criticise the direction on this film. Yeah. Okay. is when just, you see the guy, and he's broke his neck, mm-hmm. and it goes, bam, bam, bam. And you have the three punches in, and you're like, <laughs> look,
0: look, everyone, yeah.
3: look, look, look. And I'm like, ah. yeah, I, I fucking get it. Man, I get it. <laughs> it's absolutely fine. But there's some bits in this that totally repair that as it keeps going on. I mean, this is basically the truck scene in Raiders in Fast Forward. Yeah. But that bit when the refuelling truck's going to hit the whatever it is—I don't know if it like turbos planes or whatever—I mean, I'm, I'm no expert, but it kind of—it's goes to bang into it, and Bond's like, "I've got to get off here," mm. and he jumps off and rolls, and there's that bird's eye view yeah, shot, just yeah. missing it. Yeah. And I'm thinking, is that—that's not CGI? To be honest, like, he's done, Martin Campbell's done everything physically. Yeah. Like that guy has done that physically; mm-hmm. he must have because the light matches perfectly. And then even the explosions are going off—you kind of buy that he's going to get away with that from where he mm. is. But it's just a really clever take. And again, it's really James Bond. And this could be the final scene in any film mm. where he's foiled the bad guy and he's getting arrested. You know, he's going to get away with it. And it's when the guy's got the phone and he just triggers it. He only kills people who deserve to be killed. But this sequence from start to finish, again, it's like the free run at the start. It just doesn't let up. It's mm. absolutely relentless and absolutely fucking brilliant.
2: Yeah, another chase sequence. And I agree. Another great action sequence. Again, I can see an influence from the Bourne Identity in Batman Begins, not just spectacular, yeah. but really like intense. Mm.
3: And a big influence on Tenet as well, when he blows the plane uh, Oh, yeah, yeah massive, yeah. 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 yeah, definitely.
2: And I think it's really impressive the way Martin Campbell, who was a veteran director at this point, was able to rise to the challenge thrown down by young directors like Doug Liman mm. and Christopher Nolan, and crafting these cool modern action scenes. And that bit you mentioned, Westy, where you don't like it, where it goes bam, bam, bam. Yeah. I think I can explain why that's in there. Okay. Because that guy is Martin Campbell. Oh, is it? All
3: right. All right, that's fine then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: I love the bit we mentioned earlier where Bond runs up the boarding stage and leaps yeah. onto the truck brilliant Brilliant. yeah yeah yeah. and i really like how campbell kind of plays with the visual language of cinema at the end to trick us when we cut from the close-up of the bomb flashing Mm -hmm. to a wide shot of the truck yeah then a close-up of the petrol yeah Yeah, typically that means the bomb's on the truck but then we get the shot of the bomber kind of going hang on what's that noise yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) and then when the bomb goes off and kills the bomber and bond just smiles Mm. yeah Yeah. it's great taps into his sociopathic side again like we talked about Yeah. yeah brilliant action sequence and it was actually filmed at three separate locations. So one was
1: Dunsfold Park Aerodrome in England, Rosine International Airport in Prague, and Nassau International Airport in the Bahamas. Right. Any excuse to go to the Bahamas for
2: these exactly. guys? Yeah. It doesn't like <laughs> <meat laughs> <to be around laughs> three locations.
1: And to go to Prague? Fucking right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> What's the budget? Aye, yeah. ah, that's fine.
2: Exactly. I don't blame them. I'd have filmed everything in M's apartment if it was up to me. <laughs> yeah, spending Brosnan's 30 million. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> There's that incredible moment where the shot of the police car being blown through the air as the Oof. plane lands oh, yeah, and it yeah, just yeah. hits like the afterburner or something and it just kind of goes. But that was really difficult to pull off. Chris Kobold was the effect supervisor who worked on vehicle stunts on Licence to Kill and his team attached the police car to a crane with a rig and essentially just yanked it through the air.
2: Yeah. Ridiculous. Yeah, what a shot that is where yeah, the car just bad. takes off. Yeah. It's brilliant. When
3: you to go to Prague to do that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> and yeah, the only CGI in the shot was to remove ropes and wires. Everything else was yeah. done in camera.
3: Yeah. Actually they probably did that bit in London with the amount of fucking Queens in London.
2: <laughs> yeah. Also there's a couple
1: of blinking you'll miss it cameos in the film. So first one right. is when Bond arrives in the Bahamas, there's a girl in a tennis outfit who smiles at him. She's a Brazilian supermodel called Alessandra Ambrosio. And then right. the one that I did see at the time I was very confused by,
2: Richard Branson, is in the <laughs> Miami airport scene. I still haven't seen that. Yeah, he's in there.
3: I've heard about it, but I still kind of, that involved in that moment,
2: that I don't really care. Yeah, Yeah, he's getting
1: frisked by security and he's in it because he is a big Bond fan and he apparently asked for a cameo in return for letting one of his planes appear in the film. Right, probably the biggest plane there, was it? I would imagine so, yeah. I would imagine yeah. So, yeah.
2: And that's just his private <laughs> plane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one of those cameos is a bit more aesthetically pleasing than the other. Yeah. Yeah. He's b isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs>
2: <Honestly>. <laughs> also, do you know how airlines make edits of films at the show during their flights to make them like more family friendly. Oh yeah. Yeah,
3: like I T V used to be. Yeah.
2: yeah. When British Airways showed Casino Royale, they made an edit where the only change was to remove Richard Branson.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. That's fucking brilliant. Height and
2: pettiness, I love it. Yeah, it is.
3: That's a real effort to take that out as
2: well. (laughs) And that is Miami. Knife fights, deaths and bombs going off. Should have stayed in the Bahamas. Absolutely. That's why I went back there to do the airport. Bond does head back to the Bahamas, yeah, and from there is sent by M to bring down Le Chief in Montenegro in the high stakes poker game at the Casino Royale with Vespa Mathis and CIA man Felix Leiter for company. Yep, yeah, it's a pretty eventful game of poker, isn't it, Westy? It is that, and the eventful
3: bit for me is not the actual poker game, but it's that incredible sequence where they go after Le Chief and they say that we need that money back. Mm. And then Bond, rookie error, leaving that fucking microphone. <laughs> yeah. All right, here we go. And he knows, but then probably the most bon like of all the sequences I've seen, Yeah. it's kind of like unabashedly just ripped it off. But it's the way that the camera moves here and the static shots against the physical shots. She's trying to get away and they're catching up with her all the way as they move mm. down the staircase. I think the pace of this is incredible. Yeah. Again, the action sequence is great, but it's the way this moves the story along. I think this is where she realizes that she's in love with them where she realises she wants to put herself in danger she realises that she's not really prepared for this life and it's how she gets rid of the gun and he shouts at her and he realises the problem that, and she has to go away and deal with it in her own way but it's the way she springs to life here is so believable and what he has to do is like this is my job it doesn't want her to see it and I would have loved the line in there like when he finally kills him just telling her to look away mm. Yeah, but he, he can't he hasn't got that in him he doesn't know what that is mm. and I think that hits home like these two are never going to work because mm. yeah. this is his life and that's hers yeah. and it's what happens from this I mean he's straight in there downs a treble <laughs> straight back to the game if I downed treble I couldn't play fucking connect
2: 4 <laughs> <laughs> Murders, treble 150 million dollars on the poker table exactly yeah, really right straight down and the, the only
3: thing that's been said if I sat down after a massive fight on his. Day, is then if Oh, the only thing that anyone said to us, Weston, you've changed your shirt. I would be, <laughs> really, I would sit back down being like, uh, 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 just eating twiglets, just panicking, sweating. Uh, and that's the most unbelievable thing about the whole film, you've changed your shirt. But, um, a great, great sequence, great fight sequence, great action sequence, and again, great emotional sequence.
2: Yeah, Stephen Urbano is a guy that he fights, the Ugandan warlord we see giving money to mm-hmm. his chief in the first yeah. act. And I love pretty much every scene. That takes place in the Casino Royale. Yeah, the rounds of poker I find really engaging and really well shot. They kind of hark back to Sean Connery playing poker and Dr. No.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. And that kind of quiet competitiveness on the poker table makes the staircase fight even more brutal. Yeah, I like when how a henchmen henchman bursts into the stairwell. Bond just knocks him off balance and then like nudges him straight over over. the stairwell. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, proper trained killer stuff. And then the last,
3: yeah, the last one that they go over, you think, oh, they're gonna fall, and then you see him lying yeah. there. You're like, oh, they're at the bottom. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah.
2: And I like how Vespa gets her moment as well when she knocks the gun out of a bano's hand. Superbly yeah. shot again. Brilliantly choreographed again. And when Bond chokes a bano to death, mm-hmm. that's the most brutal Bond has ever been. Yeah. Yeah. Another brilliant action sequence for yeah. me.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Stephen Obama was played by Isaac DeBancole, who apparently was based on Joseph Coney. Now, remember when this came out and it was all like buy some bracelets and shit for Coney? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Nearly, yeah, yeah. Like, years ago. I nearly did.
0: And I like, <laughs> of course what you did. <laughs>
3: did <do> T <laughs> shirts. I was like 400 quid down. But he was like a Ugandan militant who'd been charged with war crimes, like the abduction and recruitment of child soldiers specifically. Mm. And there was loads of celebrities on bandwagon with like mm. that. I remember that yeah. vividly. But it happened not long before the film came out, like 2000. Two thousand five.
2: Yeah. Joseph Coney apparently has got forty two kids. <laughs> wow. Wow. And following Bond killing a Banu and Vespa witnessing it, we then get that scene in the shower. Yeah. Great scene that.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean They're both sitting there in this cold shower, fully clothed, really miserable. Like, we've all been there, haven't we? Like, that's me at the end of the working week. I just want to sit in there for half an hour, shut the world out, leave me alone. I don't care that I've got my clothes on.
3: Every New Year's Day for me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I wish I looked as good as those
1: two did, but all the same,
2: it's the most relatable scene in the film. Yeah. It is a great moment. Definitely not how a shower scene would have went with Sir Roger. (laughs) (laughs) Not able to fucking <laughs> hell. <Obviously no. laughs> but I always think Vespa here kind of represents the audience. This would be us if we were confronted in real life with Bond shenanigans, yeah. crying in the shower. Yeah, yeah. But also before they leave the poker table, the facilitator says the players get a one-hour break after four hours of poker, which means Vespa must have been sitting in the shower for about four hours. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. no wonder she was cold. Yeah.
3: Wow. I mean, that scene the shower—that was all shot in one take—and in the original script. Vespa was scripted to be sitting in just that underwear, which is very much what Roger Moore would have mm-hmm. backed up, I would have thought, when Bond comes in. And it was Daniel Craig who said you should be fully clothed instead, which I totally agree with. And he actually says you're cold and turns the heat up a little bit, which I think is really nice. Yeah,
2: yeah he does. He says, oh, you're cold. And when she says yes, he doesn't take her out of the shower. No. He just starts sucking her fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn the heat up. <laughs> I suppose he's washing the metaphorical blood from her hands. That's the idea yeah. of that, I
1: suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And in this sequence, we we'll see Bond order his first vodka martini here. He asks for three measures of Gordon's, one of vodka, half a measure of Keena Lillet. shake it very well until it's ice cold, and then add a large thin slice of lemon peel, and that is word for word how Bond orders his first vodka martini in the novel.
2: Yeah. Lovely touch to that. Mm. Ian Fleming created the drink specifically for the book, and as we say in the film, it's called a Vespa Martini. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and Keena Lillet has been discontinued now, so the closest that you can get is three measures of Gordon's gin, one measure of vodka, and half a measure of Lillet. Yeah. Would you fancy one of those, Wesley? Just the one. I think. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm doing
3: anything apart from like playing Connect Four or Snap, I don't want anything more than that. <laughs> yeah, no poker, playing with that. No, not for a hundred million quid.
1: No. <laughs> and then after that, you get the sequence which I really like, which is when Bond is poisoned. And the reason I like this is because I think in a past Bond film. You'd have already had the scene where Bond has been given the antidote by Q in case of emergencies, and it's really signposted well in advance. But it's great how it plays out because he has to improvise, you know, swallowing salt water to make himself vomit. Again, yeah. just that grounded, realistic touch. And Yeah, it's great. Because it cuts back to those guys back at HQ who like, aren't 100% sure what they're doing, but he's going to die <laughs> in two minutes if they don't do something. Bond just looks absolutely fucked by it. He's done, isn't he? He's dead, is he? He dies... Ultimately. absolutely yeah and that makes the ending of the scene all the better because he's been this like sweaty dishevelled mess and then he sits down back at that table changed his shirt again obviously back in his socks cool as a cucumber I'm sorry that last hand nearly killed me brilliant yeah, and Chiffre, yeah. great line you know
2: so fucked off by this point lashief just sitting <laughs> yeah. there fuming every time Bond goes for a break someone tries to kill him <laughs> yeah <laughs> 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 I like the camera work where after Bond's poisoned it becomes handheld and mm-hmm. shaky and the shots don't seem kind of overexposed that's all really good yeah. yeah, I like how it's a different kind of action beat but it's still really effective mm-hmm. I think it's really well put together with the cuts from Bond to the MI6 officers and it's a great touch that in the big life or death moments in the poker where the stairwell fight and the cardiac arrest Bond needs Vespa to bail him out both times yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah.
3: yeah and she's ordered them like four
2: shirts (laughs) (laughs) he's gone through them all in the first like (laughs) (laughs) we measured them up (laughs) and that takes us to the end of the second act a couple of close calls lead to Bond and Vespa seeming to warm to one another but with Bond wiping out Le Chief's funds there's going to be repercussions Mm -hmm. well there will be get the wicker chair ready oh god the crew There was a mix of old and new faces throughout the production of Casino Royale, and that was echoed in the crew behind the scenes. We're going to talk about David Arnold and Chris Cornell as the music men on the film, as well as Phil Mehew as director of photography. But, as we so often do, we're starting with the writers. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there were three screenwriters who worked on Casino Royale in Neil Purvis, Robert Wade and Paul Haggis. Purvis and Wade were a writing partnership who had co-written historical comedy Plunkett and McLean Brian Jones' biopic Stoned and the spy parody Johnny English they'd also written The World Is Not Enough and Die Another Day so had some previous with Bond Mm -hmm. and Paul Haggis had written among other things Million Dollar Baby and written and directed Crash which won Best Picture and Best Screenplay at the Oscars yeah Mm -hmm. some serious credentials here then Matt Mm how was the writing on Casino Royale I mean, unusual combination,
1: but I think where you get with these three is this sense of the really enjoying the fact that they're writing a Bond film, but they can subvert and play on the usual cliches within it and they don't have to hit the same beats again and again and again. So when Bond asks for vodka martini and the bartender asks, how do you want it? Do I look like I give a damn? Great moment, now. Yeah. Hmm. The fact that they don't have to shoehorn Q into this to give Bond a load of ridiculous gadgets. He's got a tracker and that's it. They get a lot of mileage out of the relationship between Bond and M. Um, you know, that scene we mentioned where he's hacked into a laptop. I also thought M was a randomly assigned initial. I had no idea you had stood for. Would one more syllable and they will have you killed. Yeah, you yeah. really get that relationship <laughs> like, on screen really well. So they're having real fun pushing the limits of this franchise as far as they can. I do think some of the dialogue is is kind of rescued by Daniel Craig and Eva Green. And on the page, I think it probably reads quite clunky, all that, I have no armour left stuff. I think that's rescued in the delivery. (laughs) And I'll go into it more when we get there, but the final third feels a little bit off to me in some ways. And they maybe succumb to some of the cliches by that point. But overall, I think they're having a lot of fun by subverting and playing on certain things. And that really helps give this film that fresh feeling that it does have.
2: Yeah, I agree. I think nostalgia is a big part of any blockbuster nowadays where films quote previous movies in the series, crowbar and cameos from characters, sometimes just tell the same story again. And generally, I am not a fan of it. No. Like you say, Matt, Casino Royale shows you how you can do that well. Mm -hmm. I like the way they use the Aston Martin. Bond first gets the classic Bond-style Aston Martin from Dimitrios. And then in Montenegro, M sends him the DBS, where he's like, I love you too, M. Yeah, yeah. But I like how the development of the car kind of reflects Bond's character development. The same, but a modern upgrade. Mm-hmm. And I think there's quite a lot of smart details in the writing. I think exposition is delivered quite inventively. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, Bond is a lone wolf working alone. And he doesn't talk to other people, let alone himself. Yeah. So to let the audience know what he's doing, the writers bring in other characters... Like when Bond hacks into the MI6 computers, we get Villiers, played by Tobias Menzies, telling M that Bond's looking at Demetrios and LeChief's profiles, and M explains who they are to Villiers, and us. Then at Miami airport, Villiers basically Googles the Skyfee plane to tell M and us what LeChief's plan is. They're literally spoon-feeding info to the audience, but it feels natural in the Mm -hmm. film and it's a pretty engaging way to do it and like we talked about the way they've updated James Bond as a character and as a world while remaining very true to Ian Fleming's vision I find that really impressive Mm. yeah I think he was a bit of a miss and Desmond Llewellyn the classic Hugh Mm. he passed away in like 1999 which is a shame because I think he and Craig's Bond would have had really good chemistry together yeah it would have been great would have been better than John Cleese coming back yeah, definitely. yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can easily imagine Llewellyn being like, pay attention, double O seven, to Craig. And he's like, Do you think yeah. I give a damn? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just punches him out instead. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Drowns him in the sink. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you. anyway. <laughs> Look at this toothbrush now, 007. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean I totally agree. I think Neil Purvis and Robert Wade came at it from the same way that they came at the other Bond films. And from their credentials, you can see what they brought to it. And then Paul Haggis came in and went, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's put this in. Let's do this. Let's change that a little bit. Mm. And I think he read the script and thought, I can really do something with this. Mm. And for a lot of the films that we cover, I know I always say that the script is something that can be in development and that it might be just be changing and progressing as shooting goes. But I do actually think that this was solid on the page. Mm. It was as it was written, as kind of as it's filmed. I don't think there was much room to change. And I think from that, they deserve a lot of credit for rebooting the whole franchise. I think they brought that to it. And it did take three people to turn around and go, this is the classic element. And then somebody would come in brand new and go, well, I just did Crash and I've won Oscars, so fuck you. Yeah. Like, this is the <laughs> emotional element. This is the human element. Because Crash is very emotional, very human film. Mm. And it's that emotional arc that they bring to the character, I think, that you mentioned, John. Like, this is the first Bond film with an arc from start to finish. He becomes yeah. something and he mm-hmm. thinks he's invincible, but he's not. And he discovers Mm. that even the bad guys he's not invincible against, and especially against, you know, the most obvious and the most powerful human emotion of love and loving somebody else and giving yourself up to somebody else. And that's the genius of the writing on this film is to make James Bond not just a character, but a human being.
2: Definitely. Mm -hmm. And like we mentioned earlier, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade had written two Bond films already by this point. And the story of how they got involved in Casino Royale is really interesting, if you'd care to hear it. I would. I would love to. I mean, I may have oversold it by calling yeah. it really interesting. Oh, fuck it then, doesn't okay.
0: matter. <laughs> I
2: mean, they've already done two, John. so... Yeah. You know. Were
3: well, they shopping for broccoli by any chance? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, after that end of the day came out, do you remember there were rumours for a couple of years that there was going to be a spin-off based on Halle Berry's character, Jinx? Jinx, yeah, yeah I remember yeah. that. Yeah. So they weren't just rumours. Eon did put that into development. And Robert Wade and Neil Purvis wrote drafts of a script that was basically a Jinx origin story. A Jinx Bond? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) It ended up getting scrapped, but Barbara Broccoli did like it, so once they got the rights to Casino Royale, she went back to Purvis and Wade about adapting it. Right. I mean, I think Halle Berry is probably one of the very few good things about Diana that day, to be Mm, honest. Yeah,
4: to be fair, yeah.
2: Not Madonna. That's (laughs) and Paul Haggis was brought in later in the day for some rewrites his main contribution apparently was to rewrite the ending to make it more about how Bond becomes 007 not just physically but like emotionally yeah I mean how many
3: times do you think like Purvis and Wade put that line in the name's Bond, James yeah. Bond, like, where are they going to
0: put that? Haggis <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <And> <laughs> like, no, no, no. no, no. 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 So leave it until the end. yeah. yeah. The yeah. End. Last
3: line. <laughs> Just hit control and enter for ages.
2: <laughs> you could be right, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be, that's it, that's all he did.
3: <laughs> Paul Haggis actually said that John Le Carre was a big influence when he wrote the film. Le Carre had written classic spy novels like The Spy Who Came In From The Cold and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, mm. which are incredibly complicated. You're really
1: complicated.
3: He'd been in MI6 for real and Apparently, he had written his novels in response to Ian Fleming's to show how Secret Service life really was. Right. So Le Carre was also a huge influence on Robert London, who wrote the Bourne series mm-hmm. and then influenced Casino Royale. So, it all kind of comes together.
1: The
2: circle of life.
1: Yeah. It moves us all, <laughs> apparently. All right, Elton John. <laughs> yeah, and as we've mentioned, Casino Royale, that was the first James Bond novel that Ian Fleming wrote. And it was the first time a Fleming novel had been adapted since Moonraker, which was way back in 1979. Right. It was originally published in 1953, and as you'd expect, some changes were made for the film. So, for example, in the book, The Don't Play Poker, Bond defeats Le Chiffre at Baccarat instead. And this was changed to Texas Hold'em because they thought the audience would understand that more. Nah, don't understand
2: it. I don't have a clue what's going on don't again. Have a <laughs> clue. Yeah. Apparently when Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson briefed Purvis and Wade, they said there were two elements from the novel that must be in the film. Mm. One was La torturing Bond, and the other was that they said the final line of the novel had to be in the movie. So the book ends with Bond saying, The job's done, the bitch is dead. Right. Yeah.
3: Which, I mean, that would have been pretty horrible in this film, yeah. wouldn't it? It's like yeah. the fact the last line doesn't really work. But he should have been playing like Warhammer 40K or something. That would have been incredible. Imagine that. And, yeah, just one more move, takes out a dreadnought, and he's like, the name's Bond, James Bond. That
2: would be your favourite film,
1: Wesley, wouldn't it? It would be. <laughs> it would be.
2: <laughs>
1: also, the death of Vesper is different in the novel. In the novel, overcome with guilt for betraying bond, she actually commits suicide by overdosing, and she leaves Nort pledging her love for him, and this was changed to her drowning
2: instead. Right. Yeah, maybe too dark for the film to have mm. her just kill herself. Really yeah. grim, that. She yeah. kind of
1: does, though. She pushes him away, and she knows that she's
2: yeah.
3: killing
1: herself. Definitely. And then, last one, in the books, the global organisation who work against MI6 is Spectre, and they did want to use this, but the rights to Spectre, Thunderball, and the character of Blofeld... They were owned by Kevin McClory so this is where the idea of Quantum came from which gets followed up in Quantum of Solace the next one Right,
2: okay Yeah, Kevin McClory was a film producer he passed away in 2006 and a few years later his estate settled with MGM and Eon and that's why the fourth Daniel Craig film is called Spectre in 2015 yeah. oh, okay, right yeah. Making the most of those rights straight in there yeah. with it. Yeah, of
3: <laughs> <laughs> The quantum of Spectre solace.
1: <laughs> and then when Ian Fleming completed the first draft of Casino Royale, he celebrated by treating himself to a gold-plated typewriter. I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that got sold in 1995 to an anonymous bidder, although there have been rumours it was Piers Brosnan who bought it. <laughs>
3: of course it was.
1: Because <laughs> it was sold for £56,000, which made it the most expensive typewriter ever yes him and
3: Tarantino doing that with yeah. a couple of cocktails just writing <laughs> <Yeah>. the voice over <laughs> <laughs> Be your spine put a bin in put a bin in say <laughs> like, Quentin this is solid gold yeah. this shit <laughs> I'm
2: giving you gold Rosman <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: that was what's in the briefcase in Pulp Fiction <laughs>
2: We've cracked it. Finally. It. First drafted a... <laughs> Casino riot.
3: Yeah. Ian Fleming's typewriter.
2: <laughs> well, either way, Ian Fleming doesn't hold that record now. Cormac McCarthy's typewriter went in 2009 for $254,000. Wow. Tom Hanks buy that. <laughs> he might have a Viggo Monson, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of them.
3: When he'd served in the British Intelligence in World War II, Ian Fleming had visited the casino Estrel in Lisbon. Portugal was neutral during World War II and became a kind of a central hub for spies on both sides. So Fleming had learned that German agents used to visit the Estoril and apparently we came up with this plan of bankruptcy them by gambling against them, which is fucking great. Imagine spies and all you together. <laughs> it's, it's We're going to fuck this place over. And then recruiting them as double agents by having British intelligence pay off the debts and it was Yestrel that inspired the Royale. I mean, that's uh, what you don't really need much inspiration apart from that, do you?
2: It's with yeah, like class not. ideas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a great idea, but Fleming's plan didn't work. Apparently, he tried it three times, but he kept going all in on his bets and losing everything <laughs> straight away. <laughs> the first, first bet straight in. Yeah. So, good writer, terrible cards
3: player. Yeah. So, that would be me that I have no idea <laughs> yeah. the rules. All in? Yeah,
2: yeah. Still not as bad as Felix Leiter. Why no. is Felix Leiter there in a high-stakes yeah. poker game? He's yeah, rubbish. Yeah. Every hand, someone knows something I don't. Yeah, yeah. Every time.
3: <laughs> Texas Hold'em as well, he should know that.
2: <laughs> Following on from the success of Casino Royale, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade returned to write Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die. Mm. So every Daniel Craig Bond film,
4: yeah.
2: Paul Haggis joined them for Quantum of Solace too. And the writing of Casino Royale, in adapting and updating a 50-year-old book, we think they did a very good job. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. Yeah,
3: great job. Yeah, yeah. a really good combination of people to, to work on it.
2: If there's one thing a James Bond film is never in short supply of, it's composers. Yeah. Any Bond film is beholden to include John Barry's classic Bond theme, a custom theme song, and a musical score. Yeah. In the case of Casino Royale, the pop song was You Know My Name by Chris Cornell of Soundgarden and Audio Slave fame. Yep. And the score was written by David Arnold, who had scored the three Bond films before this one. Mm. Right. So I'd love to get your teeth into there, Westy. Yeah. I mean, a bit too much.
3: It's like a yogi Bar, isn't it? It's like.
2: With raisins. I know, yeah. I know I've got a big mouth,
3: but come on. Again, I've got a real love and hate relationship with Bond themes because mm. I think they're just quite pretentious. <laughs> in in how they like like, oh, it's a James Bond theme, so you've got to like it. It's like, oh, it's got to reflect the whole film. It's like there's no other film franchise that's that pretentious. But unfortunately, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of Chris Cornell. I'm a big fan of Soundgarden. I'm a massive fan of Audio Slave. But Chris Cornell's Chris Cornell, and it's just this quality of voice. Yeah. And that is the same, unfortunately, for this. I mean, I've watched this three times this week, and I still could not at any point even recall the melody of this song right mm-hmm. apart from just thinking of chris cornell's voice going you know my name yeah. <laughs> is that right because close <laughs> enough yeah <that'll> do. <laughs> that's pretty much it i just don't think it's got enough punch i don't think it's got enough weight i know what they were trying to do they're like mm-hmm. right we're gonna get a rock song in there i haven't done that since mm-hmm. wings so it's like one of them ones for me that should have really worked but the song should have been better because Chris Cornell could have right. delivered anything and it could have been a massive, massive statement and unfortunately for me this one isn't.
2: Yeah, I'm surprised Wesley I thought you would have been all over it. Well, I would be all over it if I could fucking remember it. (laughs) (laughs) I do like you know my name. I mean, Mm. it's no live and let die, is it? No. Well, sing it then. What the hell is? (laughs) Definitely. No one wants to hear that. No,
0: because you can't, that's why.
2: (laughs) It starts with, like, that classic minor scale-based riff, one of the things that gives Bond themes such a strong identity. Really strong vocals, like you say, from Chris Cornell, I think. Yeah. And... I know that Cornell said the song doesn't mention the words Casino Royale because he couldn't imagine it fitting into a lyric that would come out of his mouth. No.
3: Yeah, it's fair enough.
2: Yeah, he said Casino Royale doesn't make a good rock title, but I would write a song called "Octopusy" just for fun. <laughs> Absolutely, that would have been better. <laughs> Octopussy! <Hill! laughs>
1: was that the same melody?
3: <laughs> exactly the same, every Chris Cornell song.
1: <laughs> the opening credit sequence that was created by a graphics designer called Daniel Kleinman and he took inspiration from the cover of the very first edition of Casino Royale in 1953 because that had the design of a Nine of Hearts playing card on it but the hearts were all dripping blood and it's actually the first Bond credit sequence to not feature silhouettes of naked women and Kleiman said that he did that because he thought it went against the narrative of the film where Bond falls in love
3: Absolutely, yeah, it does.
2: Yeah, I like the credit sequence. Mm-hmm. I always liked them in a Bond film. Again, I think it's part of the identity of a Bond film, isn't it? It I is, so, yeah. Sure, yeah. But Daniel Kleinman, he was a music video director. He'd worked with Madonna, Fleetwood Mac, Simple Minds, Adamant, yeah. people like yeah. that, before mm-hmm. he got involved with Bond. And also in the 70s, Daniel Kleinman was in a band called Bazooka Joe, mm-hmm. and in 1975, they were supported by an unknown band playing their debut gig at St. Martin's College. That band was the Sex Pistols. Wow, Oh you go. Uh, yeah. Should I have them on here? That would, have been that would have been really interesting. Imagine them doing a Bond song. Yeah, God Save the
3: Queen. Just put it straight in
2: there. Bond Save the Queen.
3: Yeah, Bond Save the Queen. <laughs> you
2: Before we move on from Chris Cornell, and you know my name, we have our second Patreon question. Mm. Okay. So, Two Count Kyle is back. Ah, hello, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. So, Kyle has asked, where does Chris Cornell's, you know my name, rank among the Bond songs? I'm a huge fan of Cornell's, but understand it might not be everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. But at least it's not garbage, eh? That is true.
3: <laughs> you mean garbage or garbage?
2: Yeah, he's using garbage as <laughs> a noun there, not an yeah, adjective. That's very clever. Yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs>
3: Two Count Kyle, by name by nature.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Referring to the band Garbage, who sang The World Is Not Enough. So That's right. Yep. What do you think, Matt? Where does Cornell sit in the Bond hit parade? I think generally I do prefer the more
1: up-tempo ones to the kind of drippy ballads that you get that, I mean, certainly the last few for the Daniel Craig films are pretty dreadful, I thought. Mm. Drippy ballads. <laughs>
2: yeah, well,
1: no. Come I've on. seen your radio collection, mate.
2: <laughs> you love a drippy ballad. Yeah, loads of Sheena Eastern. Number
1: one for me, like pretty much everyone, I would think it's still live and let die. You know, that's easily the best, even with that yeah. little wee little reggae section that Macca drops in. Um, I do like... Some of the more kind of eighties pop ones like Aha, the Living Daylights, I'd have that up there mm-hmm. as well, and yeah. Shirley Bassey, Goldfinger. That's still really evocative. That's still yeah. just an absolute classic. Um, I do like this one, but this is kind of second tier for me. If those are top tier, this is the level below. Well, like the Bond
2: actors, I've got my top five Bond songs. Oh, oh, here we go. It doesn't include Cornell, but. Of course it fucking doesn't. You can't remember it. <laughs> so, fifth, Goldfinger, Shirley Bassey, a mm-hmm, classic. Nice. Yeah. Yep. Fourth, You Only Live Twice by Nancy Snodra Lovely, okay. yeah. Third, Nobody Does It Better, Carly Simon yeah. from The Spy You Love Me. Ling a ling a ling the de-fling-a-ling-a-ling. <laughs> For that bit. Yep. Second, A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Oh, yeah, it's massive, that. Yeah. I think that's what teenagers today call a banger. It is a banger. <laughs> yep. Yeah, it is a banger. And first... Top tier Don't give in and cry. Live and let die. Live
0: yeah. and let die, yeah. Obviously.
3: Yeah. For me, I love a Bond song that you can't remember it's a Bond song.
2: Mm. Do you know what I mean?
3: Yeah, like, yeah. if you were to kill, I, I keep forgetting that's a Bond song, or Live and yeah. Let Die, or Nobody Does It Better, especially. I'm yeah. like, Carly Simon, that's a great fucking yeah, song. Oh, actually, a it's song. a Bond song. Right, great. And even, like, GoldenEye by Tina Turner. Mm. <laughs> I kind of forget <laughs> yeah. that that's a Bond song.
2: How can you forget that's a Bond song? I don't know. <laughs>
3: Because it's so Tina Turner, though, is it? It's really smoky and <laughs> yeah. Hold him there! It's like, it's got this kind of, like, fight. I love it. It's great. But then, I like. I do like some of the new ones. I like Billie Eilish doing No Time to yeah. Die. I thought that was fucking excellent. And I like Adele's version of Skyfall, even though mm. that was totally played for Oscars. It was played for yeah. the big stage.
2: I like it as well. Bit drippy though, for Matt. It was, like, massively <laughs> driven.
3: But for me, it's the ones that you, you don't remember them being Bond songs, really. Mm. And it's Nobody Does It Better For Me is, is right up there at the top. Brilliant. And Chris Cornell's going to be, I don't know, like 15th or something, maybe out of 26 or however many there is. <laughs> but the very, very worst, Sam Smith, get the fuck out of my face. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's awful. Because <laughs> yeah. that was, like, playing on what Adele had done and really yeah. going for it. Yeah, and so, it I'm not going to put any percussion in it. Well, I'll put some percussion in your face. (laughs) I think the better the film, the worse the song, I guess.
1: Well, Wesley's covered uh, Chris Cornell, so I'm going to talk about David Arnold doing the score. Very nice. I think it's really smart bringing him back because he's done them before. He knows what a Bond film should sound like. But the interesting thing is, if you're scoring a Bond film, you've got that ultimate trump card in your pocket because you've got that theme tune. that you can just slap over any action sequence except Arnold can't hear because he's got to save it right to the very end and the important thing for me is I don't feel the film misses that theme at all no it doesn't I've, I've never once watched this watched the airport sequence or the foot chasing on oh, you know what would make this even better if it was going, dan out, dan out, dan out Never I've never done that. So I think this work here is really good, and it sounds like a backhanded compliment, but for me, it's more interesting for what he doesn't do than what he does.
3: Yeah, I think that's the only thing that they've taken out of what Tarantino was talking about. Mm. But like yeah. we were talking about, I didn't want to mention it at the time, but the stairway fight, yeah. the music and that is fucking incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's really yeah. good. It really lends it to it. I think it, it elevates the film.
4: Mm.
2: Yeah, I like David Arnold, who's had a great career. Mm. And me and Wesley were at a wedding where David Arnold sang a song, but Wesley's completely forgotten it. I <laughs> know,
3: because it was You Know My Name by Chris Gordon. <laughs> it
2: was a free drink, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> but he worked on some huge productions with Roland Emmerich, like Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla. Also did Shaft, Zoolander and Hot Fuzz. Yeah, so yeah. a good filmography, and I think he does a good job here. Yeah. It's largely about setting a tone through cues and background music. But unlike other Bond films like you mentioned, Matt, mm-hmm. he doesn't have John Barry to fall back on because no. the Bond theme isn't fully heard till the end credits. Yeah. So there's some pressure on him to bring stuff to the table. Yeah. And I think he does really well. The music is yeah. good throughout for me.
3: Or even fall back on that theme, just strings, just like a
2: do-do-do.
3: Just, yeah. just a hark back. to It never does that either. No. Yeah.
2: So a lot of music backing things up in Casino Royale, Chris Cornell, David Arnold, and of course John Barry. Yeah. And they all play a significant role.
3: Yep. When you can remember them, absolutely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Onto the visuals of Casino Royale and the director of photography was Phil Mayhew. Mm-hmm. An English cinematographer with a career going back to the mid-70s, Mayhew had worked on some British classics like Scum and The Long Good Friday, as well as other uh, classics <laughs> like Highlander 2, The Quickening. hmm He'd worked with Martin Campbell five times before this, including on GoldenEye. So how was his work on Casino Royale, The Quickening, Matt? (laughs) Nice. Very good. Very
1: clearly just in sync with Martin Campbell and what Campbell wants. And it's kind of hard to divide the work between them. I think he deserves a lot of credit for keeping the clarity of those action sequences. Like I said earlier, you know, for not going, well, let's shoot it like Jason Bourne shoots, because that's what everyone likes these days. He keeps it old school. He's clearly comfortable with practical effects and big practical stunt sequences. And he knows how to move the camera in and around all these moving pieces, which, like say, that's what Campbell wants. You know, he's not just keeping the shot steady in the knowledge that the CGI guys will come in and fill in everything later. He's getting everything in camera and he's comfortable doing that. So, yeah, I think he gives the film that real immediacy that it does have.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think the visuals here are a huge step up from previous Bond films. Mm-hmm. Certainly on the back of Die Another Day. Yes. Yeah. I think the scale in particular has a very Christopher Nolan, Wally Fister kind of feel to it. Does mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Very Inception in places.
2: And there's a lot of things that film Meheu oversees really well. The action sequences are expertly shot. Like we said, I like the handheld camera and lightning moments that we talked about. And something that always stands out to me when I watch this film are the stunning establishing shots. Obviously, it's a big globe-trotting adventure, so there's several times we move location from one country or continent to another. And almost every time, Mehu gives us one of the most beautiful establishing shots you could ever see. Yeah. Yeah. The helicopter shot of the train snaking through the trees when we go to Montenegro. Oh, yeah. yeah, Stunning. Yeah. The crane shot we get to first reveal the Casino Royale to us, that's stunning. When Bond meets Mathis for the first time in Montenegro, we get a wide helicopter shot of the town they're sitting in. That is insane, that mm, place. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. going there after we <laughs> finish recording this. Yeah. So, brilliant work from Phil Mayhew, as impressive as anything else in the film. For me, I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he
3: does some incredible work on this, and you don't think this is a guy of advancing years at all? No. no. Same as with Campbell, really. Mm and again what people don't talk about in this film like you've touched on there john and and matt is just how beautiful it looks the lighting yeah. is unbelievable how that casino looks mm, yeah. it's fucking brilliant yeah, yeah. but then you can cut that staircase and make it look gritty mm. and then can shoot black and white make it look gritty and then make it look really clean it does add an ambience and it adds a character to the whole film and the thing for me that gets film when you the people won't realize is he'll shoot like a whip pan and there's the bit where the suits on the bed and it whip pans over and whip oh, yeah. pans back to oh, him yeah. coming in the bathroom and that's an action sequence <laughs> yeah like yeah. nobody <laughs> needs to do that you don't need that kind of cut but he keeps that pace mm-hmm. and he knows that yeah. pace all the way through and even if you're shooting uh, a card game everything is so meticulous all them chips need to be the same mm-hmm. the continuity is absolutely fucking insane you've got five or six people with their eye lines mm-hmm. need to match mm-hmm. using two three four cameras and that's not even the main part of the film. But even that is absolutely flawless. You kind of go, oh, well, his chips went down there and his drink went down there. So I think filming has such a command over how this film looks and how it needs to play out. Campbell didn't have to worry about how this is going to look. Mm. He knows for a fact it's going to look fucking great. He is the DP that Campbell is a director. He needs a blueprint and he'll deliver.
2: Yeah, great collaboration they have had. Yeah, absolutely. For his work on Casino Royale, Phil Men- he was nominated for a BAFTA. Lost out to Emmanuel Lebetsky for Children of Men. Oh, that's always going to happen, well, right? Yeah, can't Fair argue enough. too much with that, maybe. Yeah. But still, great work on Casino Royale. Oh, yeah. Should have had more 12 million tracking shots in Casino Royale, then. Well, yeah, just in the car. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and that's the crew section. Some enormous talent all across the board on Casino Royale. And in all those names we just mentioned, Neil Purvis, Robert Wade, Paul Haggis, Chris Cornell, David Arnold, John Barry, and Phil Mehugh. A lot of talented people brought a lot of success to the film absolutely yes. very much. Yeah. the end the end of Casino Royale is full of twists turns death and revolves around Bond getting naked with two of our main characters for very different reasons yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we're talking about the final act where Vespa falls in love with then betrays our man Bond before that though it's time to resolve things with the slippery Albanian yes yep Things are heating up in Montenegro, and it all comes to a head between 007 and Le mm. First, Bond wipes out Le Chiffre at the Casino Royale, and then we get the most wince-inducing torture scene that I've ever seen, for mm. sure. Yeah. yeah. Does it do it for you, Matt? Yeah. <laughs> well, which bit? I mean, Jesus.
1: <laughs> I'm going to keep away from the bit that doesn't do it for me. <laughs> Instead, I'm going to talk about Bond finally beating Le Chiffre at poker because I just wish I understood what was going on I don't understand this game <laughs> at all really I, I, no I've never played it don't have a clue
3: all I think is he's got more cards and they're like <laughs> yeah. 5, six, seven, eight.
0: The
1: thing. The, the 9 yeah. Yeah. he's got 5 and they're all the same suit way yeah. that's the thing that they turn cards over and I think uh, 5 and an ace that just looks shit
2: How's, how's that good? Why, why does that win? Yeah. Should they just yeah. have just played Snap or something they like that. They should have done instead. Connect 4. Connect 4,
3: like I said, Snap. Warhammer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Warhammer 40k. Yeah. See, see,
1: you've got like Mathis doing this scene, doing his constant commentary to Vesper to explain how much they're betting. And I'm like, Mathis, just tell us what's going on in the game. I'd much more appreciate that than telling us how much money they're betting on. That would take another two hours, though, to be fair. But what does work, I think, Daniel Craig and Mads Mikkelsen are just really good here and they really sell like the drama and the tension in this you can see the cogs going on behind Bond's eyes trying to work out what the best play because as established earlier he's not playing the cards that he has he's playing the man across from him so you can yeah. see he's trying to think mm. what, what's the best tactic here and Mickelson I mean this is what they mean by a poker face isn't it just giving absolutely nothing away and I love how he's just turning that chip over and over and over in the sound. It's yeah. like a countdown, like make your decision. You've got to decide what you're going to do here. So when Bond turns his hand over and he's won, Le Chiffre, I mean, his ass is absolutely just dropped out. <laughs> like, yeah. He looks sick as a chip. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I wish I understood what was going on. But even though I don't, I still really enjoy the scene.
3: Yeah, what Mehu does as well, though, if you look at that camera placement, there's another two guys involved in this. Yeah. Like, they are all in. Yeah. And they are so distant. You know they're never going to win.
2: It's genius. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure what this is about me, but does anybody else want Chief to win that final hand? Nah. No. <laughs> <Do you> know, <laughs> oh, no. Just me then? <laughs> <He's> just you. <laughs> I think it is well done how each character reveals their hand and each one outdoes the last. Yeah. And yeah. I think special mention to the production designer Peter Lamont because the poker room in the Royale looks brilliant. It's it a does. great it's set, yeah. yeah. But Bond looks out, doesn't he? Straight flush. Straight in there. I mean, I'd love to say I know, but it looks great. i would assume that's not very likely. <laughs>
1: He's
3: putting everything on a five and a seven, right? I think, yeah. It, but yeah, but he knows it.
2: You're okay. Well, I used to play poker in the rec room at sixth form and once got dealt first hand, a straight flush. That's the same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, I won pound twenty-five. 115 million big ones for Bond in 10 pences (laughs) exactly it was in 10 pences was it (laughs) yeah and then there's the late night victory meal between Vesper and Bond all of a sudden Vesper's laughing at Bond's gags and telling him his Mm. sexist comments are good lines and he falls for it doesn't realise she's completely changed after he's just became a millionaire yeah (laughs) Yeah, amazing (laughs) I must say I'm not sure I buy Bond suddenly realising incorrectly that Mathis is the double agent for Mm. no reason but the poker scenes and especially this final one I think they're all excellent really well shot
0: yeah
1: yeah brilliant and that dealer in this game he's played by an austrian actor called andreas daniel when the production was looking for a dealer they called around some casinos and by chance daniel was working in a casino at the time so he answered the phone when they called and he said you're looking for car dealer
2: you just found him lovely Mm. have you noticed as well that when bond wins he gives the dealer a tip and says for you yeah that chip is worth half a million dollars yeah and he gives him. (laughs) yeah, <laughs> and the dealer just goes, "Thanks very much." Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'll retire now. Thank you.
3: Yeah, it's that great moment though from that dealer when it introduces you to the table and he does that kind of crescent with the cards and it's yeah. perfect. Uh, oh yeah, oh, yeah. You go, vroom. Yeah. Like all the way around <laughs> and I can't help but feel like Ocean's Eleven had a lot to do with this
2: mm-hmm. should have got that dealer in there who was in Casino that takes all the money off Joe Pesci yeah Oh yeah. <laughs> that little dumpy fella yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would look good in a Bond film or <laughs> someone with cowboy boots were just the feet on the table <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
3: I mean I'm going to go for the bit that Matt's really uncomfortable with and uh, and everyone's probably really uncomfortable with, and probably including you John let's be honest yeah every single male in, who's ever seen it when that seat gets put down and you see that whole cut co- out, you think ah, uh, okay and then they rip your shirt off and you go <laughs> right and you know the first thing that strikes me about this scene is that the lighting is fucking beautiful yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's it
2: <laughs> and it always
3: has and it always will it's just so beautiful and i look at this scene and i go there's action involved there's something that you have to concentrate on but there's also this underlying element of the breaking and bonds and motion and i think that's what this does really fucking well and it's when they shut the door and her screams just there and it's silence yeah. And that's supposed to break them, and it doesn't. I don't even know how to talk about this without sounding weird, but the first initial tap.
0: <laughs> mm. Yeah. kind of, ah, that's what? enough. There are. Yeah.
3: And then it's just a bang, mm. wallop, and you're just, that's <laughs> enough. You know, it's the world's worst vasectomy, I would imagine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just Getting hit with that rope. But again, it's, it's Craig's performance, and it's Mickelson's performance that totally sells this scene, because it could be hilarious. And the way Craig shouts, and it cuts to the wide shot, and he's like, no, 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 to the right. Yeah. Like, just to the yeah. right, to the right, no, no, no. And he's like, you're never, ever going to get me. But I think it's just an incredible scene because it shows a vulnerability of the character,
2: and that vulnerability is, with every hit, being wiped out. Wesley, you're definitely the only person who I know who could talk about this scene and start by going, the lighting is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: watch it again it is
2: (laughs) when I read the novel it was after I'd seen the film and the most surprising thing was that this torture scene is taken from the novel or very closely yeah yeah I think Mickelson's excellent in the scene. Yeah. I feel every swing of that rope, even yeah. when you were talking about it there, Wesley, I was wincing yeah. in my seat. Yeah. It's awful. I yeah. But I love the shot. When Mr. White comes in to kill La he says, money isn't as important as knowing who to trust. Yeah. Yeah. He shoots Le Chiff, who's standing off screen, and then Le Chiff falls and his face
3: fills yeah. the frame. Great, yeah. great yeah. shot, that. That's yeah. a great shot. But then, like Mr. White said, in our organisation, so you don't quite know who he's talking about. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, that's a bigger thing now. Mm. I think this film was designed to be seen once in the cinema and you leave it and go fucking hell that was a James Bond film
2: yeah, yeah definitely yeah. but yeah great scene one of the most talked about in the film I think Nicholson yeah. is really really good and I can still feel it years later yeah. it's awful yeah.
1: <laughs> when I saw it a friend of mine saw it like a couple of weeks after and I caught up and I said you enjoy Casino Royale he's like yeah it was good <laughs> 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 he said "Oh, there's one bit I didn't understand though when the Chiffre is tortured from Bond why is he just hitting him on the legs no way <laughs> really true oh, I was like on. oh mate no that's not what he was doing that, yeah. did you not get why Bond was naked and they, they cut the, the seat out of the chair so the
3: rope that Le Chifre uses to torture Bond is a semen's knot which is really ironic because there'll be none left after this
0: <laughs> <laughs> so it's used
3: from throwing one line from one boat to another so they basically tie it off and then they yeah. throw it over so it's got some weight to it the knot is woven around a shot that weighs several pounds
4: ouch ouch <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: They're being hit with a tin of beans.
2: Can you imagine that? (laughs) (laughs) Beans and sausages, obviously. (laughs) And in the novel, the sheaf doesn't hit Bond with a rope with a knot in it. He tortures Bond's testicles with a carpet beater. I think that's oh, even worse. Yeah, Two intimate.
3: Yeah, but of the time, I mean, who's got a carpet beater now?
2: <laughs> yeah, Matt Mid will be welcome for you for the carpet beater. <laughs> yeah,
1: and just before this, when Bond is chasing Le Chiffre and his men because they've kidnapped Vesper, he flips his Aston Martin to avoid hitting her because she's been left lying in the road. Oh, yeah. And they did yeah. that by adding an air cannon to the bottom of the car and firing it as the stunt driver was inside. They shot it three times and destroyed three Aston Martins worth £300,000 each. And in the shot they used, the car flipped over seven times, which was in the Guinness Book of Records as a world record.
2: Wow. Wow. Get Roy Castle on the case. <laughs> <laughs> Get that trumpet in there. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that would be brilliant. Fucking <laughs> excellent. <laughs> 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 At first, I tried to just flip the car over naturally by having a stunt driver make, like, sudden wheel turns. But because it was a racing car, it was designed to produce lots of downforce, so they couldn't flip it over. Yeah. So they had to install the air cannon. And that shot where it rolled seven times, I mean, along with Vespa, that shot is the money. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. amazing.
3: And Chris Nolan going... An air cannon? Yeah. Oh, I put one in a fucking Arctic? Yeah, let's do that, <laughs>
2: Dark Knight. Okay. He's looking at everything that's happened in a Bond film. Some huge moments there then. Bond wipes out Le Chiffre at the casino, then Le is killed by the organisation. A happy ending for Bond. Or is it? Mm.
3: Kind of. I mean, you know, he's going to have to sit in the
1: bath for a little while. Definite cold shower needed.
2: <laughs> the main antagonist of the film in Le Chiffre is gone, but still time for more drama. Waking in a hospital, Bond collected winnings from the comical Hair hey Mendel before heading off to Italy with Vespa. Yeah. The climax to Casino Royale brings us Vespa's betrayal, Vespa's death, Bond's revenge and the completion of Bond's arc. Mm-hmm. Ah, Venice. How is she, Matt? No rats this time. <laughs> oh, is there? Ooh. Ooh! Good
1: point, good point. <laughs> um, Venice is where the film stumbles a little bit for me because I feel the falling into the cliché of thinking well, we'd better have an action sequence at the end because a Bond Mm. film always ends with an action sequence. And I just wish that stuck to the guns a bit more and kept it about the characters because that's all you need. Vesper portraying Bond is dramatic enough without bringing in this collapsing building, which does feel a little bit like something from another film. And it's a weird one because on its own, it's a really well-done sequence and it's full of bits that I love. I love it when the bad guy has Vesper at knife point and he says to Bond, I'll kill her. And he just goes, allow me you know, yeah. that's the sociopathic bond is coming back in. And the action beats are, again, really good. There's that great bit where he shoots the guy with a nail gun right in his eye. And the best <laughs> thing about that is no cheesy quip at the end. Like, if that's Rog, that's, I guess we don't see eye-to-eye eye anymore. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know what, <laughs> what
1: I <Beautiful>. mean?
2: <laughs> Very that good. is the best thing you ever said on one of all. <laughs> <guys. laughs> oh, just going to now, just going to walk away, going to retire. <laughs> thank you, thank you. So, yeah,
1: individually great bits, you know, when Vesper Drowns, that's horrific, like, I do get really queasy watching drowning sequences, like Kurt yeah. Russell and Poseidon, that panic in her eyes, and that big gulp, oh, and is just gone. So it's really brutal. So overall, it is slightly odd, because if I saw this sequence on its own before the rest of the film, I'd be like, wow, that's amazing. But I just think when you put it in context with the rest of the film, it doesn't quite fit, and the film does feel a bit top-heavy at this point, and I am thinking, what, it's gone on a bit by now. And I think the could have just been really brave enough to just have the confrontation between Bond and Vespa because it's the character stuff that really works here.
3: I know that's, it's really good, and like mm-hmm. you said, but imagine this was the opening sequence before the credits. Yeah. And you see Vespa die, yeah. and yeah. then it goes into the film. Yeah.
2: And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. I would say I don't totally buy Vespa falling for Bond, to be honest. Oh,
3: shut up, man. She still wants you, to share. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just loads of sleazy one-liners and $100 million turning her head. That's not a great look. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Nor do I totally buy Vespa letting herself drown out of shame or guilt, which I think is what they're going for. Hmm. But the tragedy they're going for with Vespa's death, I totally buy that, which yeah. is the main thing yeah the guy who she's meeting with the one sunglass lens that you mentioned Matt mm-hmm. two villains in the same film with something wrong with their eye is a yeah. bit weird yeah. but <laughs> fine but his character name is Adolf Gettler played by a German actor called Richard Samel. Right. I mean that name would have worked great in the 1953 novel but yeah. half a century later no one's calling their kid Adolf no, no. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. change it yeah Albert <laughs> anything <laughs> I do like the moment where Bond kills him by shooting him with a nail gun, although we are missing the classic one-liner that Matt just given us. And wow. there's a great shot when Bond is tailing Vespa through the city where we're in Bond's POV and we yeah. follow her through a passageway. She stops and turns as if she knows she's being tailed and kind of looks straight down the lens, but then yeah. turns and carries on. And then the camera pans left and we see Bond in the shadows, so it wasn't his POV. Feels like he's kind of tricked us as well. Yeah. As everybody else.
0: Yeah. But yeah.
2: I always feel sadness when Vespa goes, mainly mm-hmm. for her, but also for Bond and what he's lost, yeah. which is exactly what they're going for, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, he doesn't find resuscitate for long, does he? Like ten seconds and just gives up. Yeah. <laughs> She's dead then. Yeah.
3: That's it. He's not good at saving lives, I think that's the whole point, <laughs> isn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah, maybe yeah. He maybe, yeah. T- takes yeah. it away, he doesn't know how to bring it back. Yeah. But great though, huge drama and yeah. spectacle all at the same time.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. And when you see Bond and Vesper sail in the Venice on Bond's yacht, which is the Spirit 54, and they had to get special permission from Venice authorities to sail along the Grand Canal. And there's no actual records of it of the last time a pleasure yacht sailed there, but it was
2: believed to be about 300 years earlier. Wow. The owner of Spirit Yachts is called Sean Macmillan, and he was lying on the floor shouting instructions to Daniel Craig when they shot that scene. Right. All right. Yeah, I read an interview with Sean McMillan where he said Casino Royale helped hugely boost the sales of Spirit Yachts because he said on the back of the film they sold three yachts which goes to show how expensive they are. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> Just three. I thought you are going to say,
1: like, 70% or something like that. Yeah. No, three. I didn't
3: know it was three. I'm glad I got mine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Nick of time. Neil Purvis and Robert
3: Wade came up with the idea of the Sinking Palazzo when they saw footage of the Leaning Tower of Pisa having its foundation stabilised. In the footage, the tower was propped up by huge bladders full of air. Hmm.
2: Right, I thought you were going to say they came up with the idea when they saw footage of the tower having its foundation stabilised by evil Superman in Superman 3. going <laughs> to <they>
0: say
2: that. <laughs> it is a great concept, though, I think. Robert Purvis said they chose Venice as a setting because they thought it was thematically relevant for Bond and Vespa's love to sing figuratively and literally. Hmm. Very nice.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely.
2: Not writing Johnny English now, is he? No. No. I mean, Johnny English is just as in depth.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the set for the interior of the sinking house was 45 foot by 40 foot and 45 foot high and weighed 90 tons. It was built around the underwater paddock tank on the 007 stage at Pinewood Studios and using computer-controlled hydraulics that could sink at 16 feet. And there was also a one-third scale miniature made for the building They used that for exterior shots and that was filmed against a
2: green screen with the Venice background added in a CGI. Right, you can't tell at all there. No, it's really well done. Those shots where it's sinking look fantastic. Yeah, it looks great. It took three weeks of nine hour days to shoot the Venice scenes. The interior scenes in the building were the last thing shot in the whole production. Right. And Martin Campbell said the set was finished so late that they had to go in and film it without a storyboard. Right. Which you can't tell at all. I think it's Ah, superb work. Definitely not. Brought the house down. <laughs> very nice you're not going to get better than the eye-to-eye guy you're not going to be able to I'm frantically typing away in the background yeah, furious <laughs> he's meant to Roger Moore for the last three
3: hours yeah, and know. he can't get better than that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: just one week after
3: they finished shooting the 007 stage caught fire and burned to the ground when three crew members were dismantling the whole set. The same thing happened at Pinewood before they filmed a view to a kill. This time shooting was wrapped, but some damage was caused because people didn't call the fire service at first when they thought the explosions were special effects. <laughs> 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 they
4: just, yeah. it's fine. But you would, wouldn't you?
3: <laughs> 007 stage. You would, yeah. a bit of a fire there. That's well, that's fine. fine. Yeah. yeah, This must be the opening
2: sequence of the film. Yeah. I wish it yeah. were. Yeah. Hey, this new Bond film looks awesome. People going flying all over the place. <laughs> Actually on fire. <laughs> it's time for our third and final Patreon question now. This time it comes from Jane O. And I'm asking it now Was it feeds into Vespas' character in some ways. Okay. okay. So, hello, Jane. Hello, Jane. Hello, Jane. So, Jane asks, This film, and Daniel Craig in particular, changed my mind about Bond films, which beforehand I'd seen as pretty sexist and for male audiences. Mm-hmm. Although, obviously, I had a soft spot for Sean. Do you think this was shared by others? And if so, why did this film have that effect? I
3: think it does have this effect because of Eva Green, to be honest. And Mm -hmm. because of Daniel Craig and because of how much he tries to be masculine and he's thwarted at every single attempt to be masculine. I think that's the whole point. And actually getting his masculinity taken away and saying that it's going to be taken away in a torture sequence hits that home. And everyone can kind of relate to that and that Bond has this vulnerability. The emotion that's brought the film... The pace that's brought the film, the fact that he bleeds, the fact that he sweats, the fact that that's brought on, the fact that he's a human being, I think makes this accessible, not only for male audiences, but also for female audiences. But like I said before, when we spoke by Eva Green, I think her character does relate to a female audience where they go, well, fuck yeah, thank God. It's not someone who's just something to be looked at. It's someone to be listened to. And I think that was massively, massively over late for this whole franchise.
2: Yeah. I agree with Jane that compared to previous Bond films, Casino Royale was pretty progressive from like a feminist point of view.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: However, that was the lowest of low bars, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, it is. <laughs> yeah.
3: For a Bond film, it's paramount, but still yeah. like, yeah. not for a film of this era.
2: Exactly, yeah. I mean, women yeah. in Bond films were there for one of two reasons, to be killed or go to bed with Bond, often both. Here, Solange definitely fits that pattern. And Vespa, though there's more to her, she still does both those things too. Hmm. So, how progressive is it, really? Watching the film for the first time in a few years for this episode, the thing that I most disliked was the way Bond is with Vesper. He barely talks to her without making some terrible sleazy comment. the opening exchange she says I'm the money and he goes oh every penny of it it's (laughs) like where's Roger Moore came from all of a sudden (laughs) oh here we go (laughs) it does
3: demand her to be physical as well in the film a lot Ellen Ripley's what 20 years before this
2: exactly yeah put Ellen Ripley in that role she'd kick the fucking shit out of him it'd be amazing (laughs) yeah so I do agree with Jane in Vespa and in M we definitely have two strong female characters who aren't called pussy galore but I still wouldn't go overboard with how far ahead of its predecessors it is to be honest, not at all.
1: I think this one had that effect because I think that was probably just in mind when they when they wrote it. I think they were pretty savvy about look. We've got to change some things. We can't go back to what we did before. Like say with Denise Richards as a nucleus running around in a crop top and shorts. You know they realised the times change, and you know we've mentioned the Jason Bourne films a few times. If you look at those, they have like no schoolboy humour in them. They do have genuinely strong female characters. On there as a love interest to Matt Damon, so you know in Bond films in the past they've pretended to have strong female characters, but this you know they drop the knickers as soon as Bond looks at them, which undercuts all that. And yeah, you know Solange does do that to some extent, and then gets killed for it. But I think they don't try to gloss over that like they do with other. Bond girl to suffer that fate, I think. You know, that Lincoln yeah. shot on her dead face, it's really uncomfortable. Mm. And obviously Vespa, she's written as a stronger character. She controls the money. Bond is essentially answering to her on this mission, and he answers to M as well. So I think a lot of yeah. Casino Royale is fighting back against what they did previously because they, they knew it just wasn't anywhere near good enough.
3: Yeah. I mean, for me, it's the way this film closes that it turns it into a Bond film. Yeah, Yeah. An incredible aerial shot of of where we're travelling that car comes in everything's so crisp and clean and colourful and it's so cool and there's what three lines of dialogue in this sequence it's probably one of the best ways to end a Bond film that I've seen ever to be honest and I think that's what really hits home with this and it makes you leave the cinema punching the air a little bit going this is the new Bond film fucking yes I (laughs) realise now it's James Bond because he's been through all this shit and he looks incredible and it's just when he's like we need to talk and who is this? Mm. Bang, bang, bang. Yeah. And he's just, his feet comes up. It's 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 an introduction shot. It's yeah. an opening shot at the end of the film. Yeah, And that's an incredible thing to do, where you you end a film with an opening. Yeah, And that's where this film would really works for me as a reboot and should have stood on its own. And there shouldn't have been any other James Bond films mm. after this one. It should have ended on that. <laughs> and that would have been it. And just sell the right to make Spider-Man fine. <laughs> <fucking. laughs> and that's it great. But what an ending to what a great film. Yeah, it's fantastic stuff.
2: Yeah, as origin stories go, I think Denue Mons don't come much better than this. No, no frills at no. all in Bond's yeah, resignation no. letter. The, um, no. I hereby tender my resignation with immediate effect, James <laughs> yeah. Bond. That's Tom leaving my next job, definitely. <laughs> Straight <laughs> back in there. And then, yeah, short retirement ever, like Steven Soderbergh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, or Phil Collins. <laughs> but yet again, we're in the wrong game here because how amazing is Mr. White's place? Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. But right. that ending. The name's Bond, James Bond, followed immediately by the opening chord of John Barry's theme. You
3: hear it yeah. climb. As he's climbing the stairs, the, the
2: theme yeah. builds yeah. as
3: well. It's so brilliant. he's building towards the, the characters, like oh. visual storytelling. It's fantastic. It's, it's
2: excellent. It, it doesn't feel cheesy. It doesn't feel unearned. It feels like James Bond. It's yeah. a great yeah. way to finish. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly the same. There's just not that many films in the past 20 years or so since this has come out that ended with such a perfect final, like... 20 seconds is this because withholding that line withholding that music until the very end is so effective because it tells you that the character is now here and yeah, it's like yeah. Westy says you do punch the eye but you go yes when's the next one coming out it's like a cold to arms isn't it its is. I am James Bond
3: yeah. it's like yeah okay bad at yes. the fucking right yeah. and two
1: hours and 27 minutes yeah. you ought to wait for this fucking. <laughs> but it's been worth it it lands beautifully you're excited for the character all over again and like Westy says that three piece navy blue suit worn by Bond here that's the same make as the grey suit
2: worn by Sean Connery and Goldfinger oh was it yeah oh nice yeah. I've got a three piece navy blue suit a bit like this one actually I've seen you wearing it. <laughs> yeah. Fucking exactly the same. Yeah. You just need a massive gun. <laughs> Saving it for your wedding, Matt. <laughs> You're just missing the gun. <laughs> and we're at the end of Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. A tragic end as Vesper leaves us. She's left her mark on the big fella, though, and made him the Bond he is. That she did.
0: Reception and
2: Returning after four years away, and with a new actor in the lead, there was some pressure on Casino Royale to deliver. Mm-hmm. So, to bring us up to speed on how it did, we've got Matt, the stats man Bartley, to give us the lowdown. Here he goes. Stato. <laughs> Matt, the stat. Yeah. Take it away. Okay, so,
1: on a budget of $150 million, Casino Royale grossed $616 million at the box office. Oof. It was the highest grossing film in the UK that year and the highest grossing Bond film ever until Skyfall surpassed it a few years later.
2: Right. Wow. Yeah, it was the fourth biggest worldwide grosser that year after mm-hmm. Ice Age, The Meltdown, The Da Vinci Code. We mentioned that before. Wow. Yeah. And, and number one, Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest. Always mega hits those Pirates films. They yeah, are. True. Didn't on Stranger Tides* cost like almost half a billion dollars to make or something yeah, crazy no, like that? <laughs> yeah. Never
3: found the instinct to watch it, to be
1: honest. No, I've not seen that. And it was also the first James Bond film to be shown in mainland Chinese cinemas. And so to familiarise Chinese audiences with the character, Eon produced a leaflet called The Seven Rules to Double-O Status. Do you want to hear what the rules are? Definitely. I'd love to. See if I'm worthy of it. Yeah, yeah, let's see. Let's find out. So, number one, you don't fear death and won't give in to torture yes number two you have olympic level shooting skills yes number three even if you double cross your parents you will never double cross the organization never four you have knowledge that would surprise even a scholar and a sense of humor that would make even a bad girl grin correct five (laughs) you have the sociability of a lamb but remain a lone wolf
2: that's Wesley to a T, that
1: one. Then yes, okay. <laughs> yeah. Six, you have the highest level of experience with alcohol, gambling, cars and food.
3: Yeah, not gambling, but everything else. Yeah,
0: okay.
1: <laughs> and seven, you can fall in love, but you can never love. Nah, that's unfair. <laughs>
2: Oh, fell at the final hurdle. Fell at the final one. Nearly, <laughs> nearly. <laughs> I would fall and get me
3: balls caved in, wouldn't I? I'd yeah. hear yeah, that scream as the door shut, and I'd be like, no, man.
2: <laughs> well, looking at the critical reception for the film and the other great Roger, Ebert, mm-hmm. Okay. what did the big man think of Casino Royale? Oh, I think he would have really enjoyed it yeah like four yeah yeah of yeah. course he loved it yeah. four stars out of four yeah. yeah and he said Craig makes a superb Bond who gives a sense of a hard man who nevertheless cares about people and right and wrong mm. the film has the answer to my complaints about the James Bond series why nobody in a Bond movie ever seems to have any real emotions mm. yeah true Is an emotional man is Roger he is yep yep <sighs> Andrew Sarris of the New York Observer called Casino Royale the first Bond film I would seriously consider placing on my own yearly 10 best list. Yeah. Furthermore, I consider Daniel Craig to be the most effective and appealing of the six actors who have played 007, and that includes Sean Connery. Wow, Being okay. Crazy. Yeah. Thinks very highly of his own top 10 of the year list, does Andrew <laughs> Sarris.
0: Don't we all? <laughs>
2: And Empire Magazine gave the film 4 stars out of 5 and said, contrary to pre release naysayers, Daniel Craig has done more with James Bond in one film than some previous stars have done in multiple reprises. This is terrific stuff, again positioning 007 as the action franchise to beat. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they're not talking about Roger there with those multiple replies (laughs) as dig. I
3: never thought you'd get him in at this point.
2: (laughs) I just can't believe it didn't go the full five stars. This has got Empire written all over it, It this film.
1: Yeah, it has. (laughs) And then on Rotten Tomatoes, Casino Royale has a 94% approval rating from critics and 90% from audiences. It's the fourth highest rated Bond film with critics after Dr. No from Rush With Love and Goldfinger, but it is number one with audiences. And on IMDb, it has
2: 8 out of 10. And again, that is number one in the Bond ranking. Okay. Wow, big returns. Mm -hmm. James Bond does big returns. He does. No major award recognition for the film, but in every other area, Casino Royale was a resounding success. Huge box office returns, great critical reception for both Daniel Craig and the film, and still today, hugely popular with audiences. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What was all the panic about? (laughs) Exactly. Most headlines.
3: It's fine after the fact, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Sequels
0: and influence.
2: Casino Royale was the twenty-first film in the James Bond series. Twenty-third, if you include the non-Eon efforts of Never Say Never Again and the Ronnie Corbett Casino Royale we talked about. That's not thought. And Daniel Craig then appeared in a further Four Bond movies. Mm. We don't want to be here all night, and nobody wants to hear that either. So we're going to talk about just those Craig films Mm. in Quantum of Solace, Skyfall, Spectre, and No Time to Die. Mm. So what do you think of them, Matt? Mixed bag. Quantum of Solace,
1: I don't think I've ever been so disappointed in a film than I have by that one. Coming on the back of this, it was just... I know there was a writer's strike, and that really hamstrung, but it's a real mess of a film. Skyfall, I thought that brought it right back up. I think that's a great film. And I nearly did nominate it this time around. Um, and nice. that, You know, again, it does something fresh with the character. And then you get into Spectre. I think Spectre is just kind of that middle bond for me. It's fine. It's slickly made, entertaining. But some story choices I found a bit strange. And that whole thing pretending Christoph Waltz wasn't playing Blofeld was ridiculous it, he was <laughs> obviously a play name um, and then no time to die i haven't seen it since the cinema and it felt a bit like spectre entertaining but i think by that point everything just felt too intertwined from the past four films and i saw to lose track of what was going on and thought rami Malik was terrible as the villain so really bad <laughs> yeah skyfall great i'll happily watch that the others not really that fussed
2: yeah, after the very promising setup in Casino Royale, I think the other DC films on the whole are okay, mm. Quantum of Solace is okay, Skyfall I like a lot. Yeah. Then Spectre and No Time to Die I don't like very much. Mm. Quantum of Solace, I'm not sure what made Eon think Mark Foster could direct a big action blockbuster in most of them dramas before it. Yeah. And his lack mm-hmm. of experience definitely shows. Yeah. It's uninspired to me. Skyfall's great, aside from one narrative misstep. I'll leave all that for the inevitable podcast on it. Okay. Never going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Shut down there. <laughs> Fucking no chat. <chance. laughs> Spectre falls into that trap I talked about of way too much nostalgia, mm. constant references to other Bond films, and No Time to Die, again, uninspired for me. Mm. So yeah, two Daniel Craig Bond films I like, and three I'm pretty indifferent to. To be honest, yeah. I mean, it's
3: it's the same, isn't it? I'm not going to go Quantum of Solace is a masterpiece. <laughs>
2: because
3: it, it,
0: it's so confusing. Yeah. I don't
3: even know what the fucking title means. No. I've got no idea <laughs> what it, it is. And like I normally enjoy being confused by Bond movies. They get some Mendes in. And he, he really kind of reinvigorates with Skyfall. But I think, again, it was really safe. Spectre, when opening sequence on that, incredible. Brilliant,
0: yeah.
3: And No Time to Die, I thought, was excellent in the last... 20-30 seconds as this is excellent in the last 20 30 yeah. seconds because they kill him
1: yeah
3: and they're obviously going to kill Bond Daniel Craig's not coming back he no. doesn't want to do it again yeah. and no. again it, it kind of goes well if they'd done the no time to die idea with the skyfall kind of feel instead of Quantum of Solace and just give him two films I think that would have been absolutely phenomenal
0: yeah
2: yeah, yeah. A whole series of Bond films for Daniel Craig then. Mixed quality for us, but he yeah. was a very good Bond and mm. did well in updating the character for more modern audiences.
3: Oh, yeah. no, 100%, yeah, definitely. Better than most of his films. All the Right Movies ranking,
2: And that is the end of Casino Royale. We've been through the whole behind-the-scenes story and now it's time for the All the Right Movies Rankings. Mm-hmm. Stats man, Matt, this was your choice, so would you like to start? Summary and score for Casino Royale? Yes,
1: it's a really interesting one because how highly can you rate a Bond film? Can a Bond film be a truly great film? And Casino Royale is so satisfying. It really does grab you from that first scene. That opening's incredible, and they've given this outdated character and franchise such a new burst of energy. I think Martin Campbell keeps everything grounded, does a really great job of the action and the casting of Daniel Craig is just an absolute masterstroke he brings so much energy and intelligence to the role and it does go off the rails a little bit for me by the end and if the final third was as good as the first two it would be an outright masterpiece but having said that the 21st film in a franchise has no business being as good as this one is Hmm. feeling as fresh as it does and to take a character that everybody knows back to front inside out and has been done to death and gave such a new spin on it That gets everybody paying attention again when it seemed like this character doesn't need to exist anymore. To do that and to pull that off as easily as they make it seem, that is something that cannot be underestimated and it gets an extra point for that alone. So definitely top five Bond, if not probably top three. So it's a nine from me.
0: Ooh,
2: Huge. Nice. Mm -hmm. Okay. I always look forward to a new Bond film coming out, like I said at the start. They're always an event to me. Mm -hmm. And of all the Bond films I've looked forward to coming out, I think Casino Royale is probably the only one that ever exceeded my expectations or certainly gave me something I wasn't expecting. Mm. That comes partly in Daniel Craig. He was lambasted before he even shot a scene, but did a fantastic job. Not just for me, I think most people generally accept him now as one of the best Bonds. The tone, taking influence from the likes of Batman Begins and Jason Bourne, that was the right decision. But seeing you're going to do that is one thing pulling it off, is another. And Martin Campbell, in all honesty at the time, I would have doubt that he was up to the task. Yeah. But again, a fantastic job. The most interesting Bond for me, the most interesting and best Bond girl for me, and for me, the best Bond film of them all. Mm. It's a wow. straight flush 9 out of 10 for me as well. Wow. All right. Okay. And Westy, your summary and score for Casino Royale?
3: Okay. I think if I was going to show anyone this film, I would kind of just go watch this really great film. And then, I'd, if they hadn't seen a Bond film, I would say, just watch this, re- and then say, Who's James Bond? And I'd be like, Oh, for fuck's sake, right? I've got to show you all of this. I've got to show you 20 <laughs> other films where it's just an absolute rehash of the same thing and the yeah. same character. And look how he's done this, and look how it's been improved, and look whether. Uh, and if you're into all that, then that really works. But for me, that kind of lets the film down. If this had been a completely new character, this so had been like a Jason Bourne thing, and Daniel Craig had come on. If it had been a sequel to Leah Cake, and he'd become a secret agent, and he was 006, and you're like, oh, okay, it's not a James Bond film then, it's something else. Mm. And it started something brand new, instead of just trying to this trajectory of something that would seem overly kind of burn itself out. I think being a Bond film lets this film down. I feel everyone was restricted by that, but they did a really, really good job of it. I would say it's my favourite Bond film because it's the least like a Bond film. Yeah. So for me, as as, talking about as as like a Bond film's part of a franchise, I can't give it anything higher than a 7.5, to be perfectly honest. Oh, it's a God. great film. Mm. If it'd be an action film, if it'd be in a sequel to Leia Cake, if it'd be in him getting the sequel, it would be a 9, 9.5. It's mm. a great film, beautifully crafted, great technique. But uh, putting a Bond on it, putting Bond on the end of it, isn't quite enough for me. So yeah, 7.5. Fair enough.
2: Now it's time for the place where everyone weeps blood sooner or later. <laughs> Twitter. Now yeah. X, where our followers have also rated Casino Royale. Some of their comments, Mark Mello at MIM underscore Mello said 9.49 out of 10. <laughs> My <laughs> only nitpick is that Vespa and Bond's romance seems too abrupt. No prior indication she's warming to him, just good banter, nothing else. I admit that may have been by design to show she's playing him, but it needed one more scene to build it. Okay, my only nitpick is nine point four nine. That's my only nitpick. That's, <laughs> That's very nine specific. or nine point five. Hey, come on. Also, I'm not sure I'd call Bond sleazy lines good banter. <laughs> <laughs> no. Terrible banter, if anything. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: Juan Pedro Liberalato at JP Liberalato said it's a ten for me. I reckon age comes in play since I'm in my late thirties, and it was a return to a grittier yet classical Bond that found some love Brosnan's Bond never had. both script and villain are amazing soundtrack is off the charts best song since the 70s right (laughs) I didn't specifically say but I think we know that he means since live and let die surely top tier yep
3: the last one I remember
2: (laughs) (laughs) and one of our patrons just Joe said I remember a friend at work describing it as being like a Bourne film and when I saw it I could totally see what he meant Mm-hmm. With Vespa saving Bond's life and Bond emerging scantily clad from the sea, it didn't just reboot the franchise; it turned it on its perfectly formed ass. <laughs> Love it, very nice, Joe. Yeah, very clever. She has a way with words, does Joe? She does. <laughs> she certainly does. And altogether, our followers rated Casino Royale as what do you think out of ten? Probably an eight, eight
1: point five. I'll go
2: nine. It was an eight point five out of ten. Right. It came within a whisker of a nine. Right. So that gives Casino Royale thirty four out of forty in mm-hmm. total. Yep. Yeah. Bond not quite back with a bang for us. Not really. No. And that's it. The job's done. Hopefully you like the episode and don't feel like you've been skewered. No. No. Next time out, there's a hundred thousand streets in this city, and Westie, Matt, and Luke have a hundred thousand opinions on Nicholas Winding Reference Drive. <sighs> yeah. Ninety nine thousand of those opinions are Westies. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Should be a good one though. Yeah.
3: Yep. Yeah. Really It's only gonna, gonna be though. ten minutes long. Ten minutes I'm yours. Anything over that you're fucking I'm <laughs> going.
2: <laughs> to find out more about becoming an ATRM patron, supporting what we do, and accessing our archive and bonus episodes, please visit patreon.com forward slash all the right movies or click the subscribe link on Apple Podcasts.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You can subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all of your other podcast platforms. Just the five-star reviews, though, if that's yeah. okay, please. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, obviously. If you think we're only four stars, that's fine, but we don't need to know about it. No. Just keep out yourself. <laughs> Socially, you can keep up with all the right movies on Twitter, now X, where we are, at Movies. We post threads on Twitter that tell the stories behind classic films. Everything we post has been said by somebody involved in the production or comes from three separate sources the same as on mm-hmm. our podcast, so get a load of that mm-hmm. you can find us on youtube at youtube.com forward slash all the right movies on instagram and threads we are at all the underscore right movies you should join our movie group on facebook because there's lots of movie discussions and fun in there mm-hmm. and our website full of great features is all the right movies.com. it certainly is we're all off now for vespa martinis and to steak mat at the royale
3: Yep. and hit him in the balls with a bit of rope <laughs>
2: yeah we've got the wicker chair ready if you don't win Matt ooh what? Yeah. the wicker man <laughs> all the right movies will return so please come back next time for Drive yes, yes. yes. thank you
3: for listening Thanks, guys. guys really appreciate thank it thank you